will return to Twas the Night Before Christmas after these messages. Twas the Night Before Christmas, sponsored by McDonald's. It's a good time for the great taste of McDonald's. A photo booth. I think I'll try it. What a great shot of me. And the McDonald's Happy Meal guys. Surprise! Hamburger. Surprise! And soft drink. All regular size. You, you got, got the picture. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. When you buy McDonald's Happy Meal featuring Santa Claus the movie, you get one of four full-color storybooks or coloring books. Thank you. McDonald's Happy Meal featuring Santa Claus coloring or storybooks. Merry Christmas, Blake. Just keep on forgetting to bring the, 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 the jingle. The, oh, the that, jingle bell. that's three years running. <laughs> we were gonna bring the uh, the sleigh bell. That we we started that on Black Christmas. You said that two years ago. We were gonna do. Um, we we're gonna have some jingling, jingling and jangling, and then we never did it for last year. If we were smart, we would just like do it in post. But who's got time for that who's shit? Who's got time for what is even post? <laughs> What's this post you talking What's about? What's this post stuff? So um, it's a, in, a, in a, a very exciting Christmas season. Um, we had an unorthodox pick last week. We have a semi-unorthodox pick this week. And How so? Um, <laughs> I think people wouldn't think... I guess that's right. Why, why is this unorthodox? I think people wouldn't... Uh, you know, we were surprising people. But I guess it's unorthodox in, 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 in fan reception because this movie kind of was uh, a commercial failure or a flop in the, in the cinema when it came out. Yeah, but so many great movies are. I know, I know. That's not, that's that, not yeah. that I'm saying that this one's great. <laughs> oh, I I, 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 loved it. This is. I was crying at the end of this. You saw me. You were giving me, you were giving me the, t- the tissue box. You. Yeah, you were giving me the tissue box. I was all uh, teared up. But um, welcome back. We're here for I'm another. Rub your back. Yeah, here. Rub. Come on, it's okay. It's <laughs> all getting dear. awkward. It's all getting. It's awkward. just a movie. Yeah, when we were, we watched a whole bunch of Christmas specials. We. Broke out the 80s tape. We watched the, the, you know, Grinch Still Christmas, Charlie Brown Christmas, Twas the Night uh, Before Christmas, Christmas. Uh, Smurfs Christmas, Christmas Story, Christmas Story, Claymation, uh, Christmas, Christmas Adventure, uh, cre- uh, s- Christmas Tale, Christmas Tale, uh, <laughs> The Krampus. <laughs> just cr- Chris, just keep naming Christmas. Can you imagine if they did like a, uh, like a, uh, a a Garfield Christmas, or like a, or not a Garfield, that is a real one, but like a, a, a children's 80s Krampus. Like, you know, they try to make them good. Like, a, like a ABC. ABC, like, you know, uh, <laughs> animated, <night>. yeah. <laughs> Disney, yeah, and, uh, Disney, <laughs> with introduced by, what's his face? Um, uh, good old, uh, what's his name? Bob Eisner comes out. He's like, hey, tonight we've got a real <laughs> treat for you guys. I learned about this here. I didn't realize that Walt Disney coined the tr- term animatronic because he's talking about like how they made animated movies. And when he was building one of the parks, either the Walt Disney's World or Walt Disney, um, uh, the other one, that he was saying he wanted to make the animated things come to life and he'd have to electronically yeah. make them. So that's where he coined animatronics. It's, uh, you know, uh, uh, animatronic. Anim- <laughs> that thing right there. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're going to make, okay? <laughs> it's electronic animation. It's like animatronic. Yeah, something. you know, you never heard of that? Go look it up. <laughs> Whatever you say, Walt. 
You know, yeah, yeah. So he coined it, which comes into play with tonight's movie that we're doing, the uh, Santa Claus the movie from Santa 1985. Claus, the movie. Yeah, or just Santa Claus. But I guess, you know, it's simply known on screen as Santa Claus, but they want to make sure it's Santa Claus the movie, not as in the Santa Claus with yeah, um, not to be Tim, Tim Allen's <laughs> The Santa Claus with the clever E on the end, the Claus. So back from 1985. And... Uh, this is yeah, oh, 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 and and you get it. It's a it's a great time capsule because you have like you know vintage eighties New York that you find out wasn't even filmed in New York at all. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's it's uh, this is one I haven't thought about in about thirty years. This movie, to be honest, I don't even remember it. You didn't remember it? No. Oh, I remember this thing. I mean, I guess I kind of remember Dudley Moore being an elf in a Christmas movie. Yeah, but I don't. I'd, like I don't think I saw it. You got it mixed up with the night they saved Christmas with um, Paul Williams as the head elf, and then Art Carney playing the uh, Santa, which is a f- oh, maybe. F- call back to last week's episode. I mean, I'll you know, up to, to you know, full disclosure up front, I was never like a Christmas movie guy. Yeah, like you know, I saw some of them. I saw like you know, Home Alone at the theater. Saw that at the theater. Saw yeah. Christmas Vacation in the theater. But saw that in the theater too. But you didn't actively seek it out. Yeah, I wasn't a big Christmas programming guy. Still, I'm like, I'm not like Christmas is. I know it's like your favorite time of year. Me, I'm like totally indifferent. I yeah, actually yeah. don't even really celebrate it. Like birthdays, I don't celebrate my birthday. Yeah, Christmas, I only celebrate because, you know, my family like bugs me to death to come to go see them. <laughs> you decorate the house. You put anything no. up? No tree, no nothing. No or manure or whatever your <laughs> denomination is. Yeah, no, no holidays. No holidays. I things. mean, I'm not. I'm, I'm kind of at this age. I'm. Religious less, yeah. religion less. So, I don't really celebrate anything. I mean, now that I have a, a, my nephew's young, and so I guess it's kind of fun to see him be excited about it. But I mean, aside from that, like I'm not, I'm not really a Christmas guy. So, I don't. I guess I really. I mean, I was, I'm trying to think back as like a little kid. I guess obviously I was very excited about Christmas morning and k- toys and stuff. Yeah. But um, I don't remember being like that crazy into. Uh, like Christmas movies. Like, I never was a big fan of, like, the Christmas Carol story. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I, I actually read the book a couple <laughs> years ago. I'm screwed. What can I yeah. say? Uh, I'm a big fan of more the Christmas specials. I like the, you know, the uh, the yearly specials, like the Charlie Brown or the, like I said, the Garfield or a lot of, like, the Muppets Christmas special. Like, I like all those those ones. And then now I like searching out because of all this retro TV you and I are into. I like trying to find the old... Christmas episodes of those series because yeah, they're yeah. new for us because a lot of them I never seen so like you know you tape like the different strokes epi- Christmas episode or the the mod Christmas episode so I go on like binges where I'll, I'll like DVR everything and then watch the because it's new for me it's like oh this is great <laughs> <laughs> You know, yeah, I'm crying forty. Yeah, years I later. guess I can get into that. You know, I like all the. I like that's my favorite time of the year because it it's almost like the you know I uh, I always had a big affinity for like if you remember the really early Disney shorts like i think it's like toy tinkerers or whatever it's like the chippendale where like mickey cuts the tree down and chippendale in the christmas tree and then like they yeah. get into the big fight you know like like with with um pluto and like I, I love that like in the tree or like you know the soul march the wooden soldiers which this movie has a lot of like that kind of an aspect where uh to think that like a the laurel hardy movie still plays every year like you know march of the wooden soldiers and that like i, I love that aspect of the toys coming to life or you know i used to play with my gi joe i still play with my gi joes underneath the christmas tree every year you know <laughs> yeah, yeah so i love that so i love that and then along with all the christmas the cartoon specials that you see but a lot of them they're kind of like 
I don't know. They're, they're, it's kind of like losing the like the glimmer and the sheen now. Was like that. You don't really get. I don't know. I guess they must still do Christmas specials. Like SpongeBob had a Christmas special, but like, do you still get all those that all that weird abstract cartoons that kids watch now? Like, do they get Christmas? I mean, there's like a Caillou Christmas special, but do they have Christmas specials for like? I don't know. You know. It's a different know. time, you know? I mean, like, it's weird to think, like, G.I. Joe has a Christmas special or, like, you know, <laughs> Rambo, the cartoon, had a Christmas special. You know, we just shared that link a couple weeks ago with the... I was reading about the weirdest cartoon Christmas specials, and they said, like, the plot of this, the Rambo Christmas specials, you read that, like, that Santa's an arms dealer. <laughs> He's an ex-arms <laughs> dealer living in Colorado. And, um, you know, the the, the, uh, the bad guys, uh, what was it, Savage or whatever it is, they, they, they kidnap him and they want him to make some bomb and then, you know, Rambo brings him out of retirement. Not only that, he's like friends with Rambo. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody's friends with the Rambo. Yeah, everybody knows Rambo. So, um, I don't know. It's just, it's, it, 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 it's getting, like, every year I'm still trying to hold on to that childhood and innocence of Christmas time, but I feel like it's getting farther and farther away. But that's why I think this movie... Cause this brings you back to like a time frame where I remember it because the ad campaign by McDonald's was huge. Yeah, yeah. You know, you get you'd get like the Happy Meal with the stuff, and it was a real push. And that's why, like in the movie, McDonald's is so prevalent in one scene. Like, you know, they had you can get like ornaments, and they had all kinds of stuff you can get for for which all of which I forget about now. But uh, so that's probably why I knew about it. And then like, uh, of course, that's like what I related to most. That's like the. Mc- McDonald's. Oh, yeah. Yeah. McDonald's. Yeah, Coca-Cola. Like, oh, drinking a big yeah. can of Coke. Like, like in the 80s, too. Like, it's 80s McDonald's. And, all, and it's the, the thing, too, that was also a set. That looked like a real McDonald's to me. But they, they made this whole McDonald's, um, you know, set. It's, so it's just, that's what uh, reminds me most of, of the season. But then I hadn't thought of this movie in years. It kind of went away. And I guess it kind of had the fate of a Christmas story where, like, for years I didn't see a Christmas story until, like, you know, I got that resurgence like in the early yeah. odds, and now that's like a yeah. that along with Christmas Vacation are like staples. It almost gets annoying. It's like they're gonna play it every night for the entire season, you know, or something like that. You know, yeah. Sometimes I have to, you know, I can't watch say The Grinch is Still Christmas or Charlie Brown Christmas every year. I got to give like take a year off because then like you know they're gonna lose their <laughs> their glimmer. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean it's an interesting phenomenon i mean in that it's its own genre yeah i mean you could say that about any holiday but christmas movies. certainly halloween i guess but like you don't have like easter you know or, there are or halloween movies but not july I mean, 4th you but know. specific halloween movies i mean we're already getting hard up to figure out like movies that are because every how the cast for people that haven't listened to our halloween casts the podcast we do just before halloween we tried to make Halloween, it's a holiday themed. Yeah. Have something to do with the holiday of Halloween. And we're already getting kind of like. It's hard. Think, trying to think of like, okay, what are we going to do next? Yeah, year? we're going to get like bottom of the barrel. <laughs> Without of just doing, you know, Michael Myers Halloween movies. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's some classics we haven't done yet, but then that's like, you know, once we knock those out. I think of the it floor. has to do also that, you know, Christmas is a bigger holiday. Uh, probably internationally than a lot of the other holidays. Yeah. Like Thanksgiving is Amer- it's an American holiday. Yeah. I mean, I see on the calendar that Canada has a Thanksgiving, but I don't <laughs> I don't know what the tradition is. Yeah. Know, so. I think also, we, we were talking about it a couple of years ago, I think Thanksgiving is becoming marginalized and within a, a couple of years. Yeah. You know, now, now with the backlash of, you know, people. Now it's shopping. Now it's all about shopping. Yeah, and people also don't want to celebrate like the founding because some people look at it as, you know, it was stolen from the Indians, so why celebrate that? So I'm sure in 20 years or so, the 
you know, Thanksgiving will be like President's Day, you know. And, like, I went to Hall- I went to London for Halloween this year. Mm. And on my, like, right before I left, I was, like, trying to think of stuff to do. And I was like, I don't even know if they really, if Halloween's a thing over there. And I don't think it really is. It is, but not to not, not to the not degree not the Ameri- like you know, here American does everything. You know, we do it. <laughs> we do it out. But Christmas is a you big know? thing over there. Yeah, but, I mean, but they have other things. Well, because that's where like the the season, like the Father Christmas legend, like you know, um, that all comes from over there. You know, we got that kind of from them and from Europe. But like, they have other holidays. They have like Boxing Day, which is the next day after Christmas, and they have like uh, you know Bonfire Night, which is like November fifth, uh, where we ne- then we get the. Um, all those V for Vendetta masks. That's that's that. Yeah, gentleman. but that's a whole other. Yeah, that, yeah, completely. But that's, that's like a, that is a, the, the where that tradition come from is fucked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's that's the you <laughs> the know everybody has terrorist. their own. Yeah, everybody has their own kind of. Yeah, he was gonna like blow up Parliament or something like that. And, you know, but uh, but every I guess every country has their own holidays. But there's only a, a few like to, like in, do the. Out in Asia, do they sell? I mean, I know like Christians in Asia. I've heard sell that. I've Christmas. heard that Halloween's getting really big in Japan, but I don't know. Probably because of like the, if that's just because of like the, the scariness of it, you know, the horror. You know, maybe yeah. it's, it's the horror influence or whatever. But uh, I don't know what uh, aside from Christmas, you know, which is kind of like an Anglo-Saxon holiday. I don't know who really, you know, you don't really have like a Hanukkah Harry or a Hanukkah. You know, that'd be, that'd be interesting to start making Hanukkah movies. <laughs> they try to compete. Well, with that's Christmas because movies. I mean I'm, I'm you know. I'm could be speaking out of school here, but it, to, to, from my point of view, it seems like, you know, like the Jewish holidays are all like celebrate. They're like, it's not, it's not the same kind of celebration. I mean, the, the Christmas obviously is, it's a, it's origins are, are, relig- are religious, but it's kind of become something else, but it's like celebrating like a happy thing. Yeah. Whereas like Hanukkah is like, God, th- that lamp oil lasted eight, th- eight days. I mean, that's a great thing, but the reason why they were hiding and the lamp oil was fucked up. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know it's mean? almost give thanks <laughs> to, like, the you know, that we're still alive this year, you know. <laughs> and they're always, like, down, like, Rosh Hashanah and those other ones, Yom Kippur, they're always, like, on a DL. They celebrate them, like, you know, like, kind of quiet, like, work. Yeah, and it's the always, other holidays always like, fasting involved. Yeah. Or, so you I know, can't really get... Excited for yeah, like you know, oh, we're not going to eat for yeah. a couple of days. I mean, you get a present every day. You get like eight or nine presents. You know what I mean? Or yeah, geez. but it's like pencil eraser yeah. so. <laughs> and dreidels and you know, you know, like uh, those Hanukkah coins and the in the yeah. gold foil. You can like eat this thing. chocolate. Yeah, it's not like Christmas. Yeah. I guess the kids who looked out were the kids who had like a, a Jewish parent and like a Christian parent. So they got like, and then they celebrated both holidays. So they get all the spoils of Hanukkah, and then the Christmas time comes around. When too. I was little, I used to, I had a single mom, and so when I wasn't at my grandmother's house, well, she wasn't watching while my mom was working. There was a daycare center in Philadelphia, and it was a Jewish daycare center, and so, uh, speaking Yiddish. When I was little, I spoke Hebrew. Yeah. Um, I don't remember any of it now, but I spoke Hebrew when I was little. And then my mom used to have to get me Hanukkah gifts because, like... To fit in with the other kids? Yeah, yeah, because I was like, well, everybody else is getting present. <laughs> I mean, I, you know more about it than she does. And she's like, ah, I don't really... <laughs> so, I mean, it was never anything big, but I get, yeah. like, a Nerf, you know, like, football or something. And, you know, I'd get something for eight day, the eight days of Hanukkah. They were, they were big presents, but I did get Hanukkah gifts when I was little. Yeah. I always wanted to get, like, you know open up a present like a, a, a night early you know before santa came we were always allowed to open one present christmas eve yeah 
Um, that was, and then you kind of played with, kept you occupied. Yeah, for the night. I remember one year the present I opened on Christmas Eve was that Sergeant Slaughter with, oh, the, the, with the tank. Yeah, yeah. It came yeah. with Sergeant Slaughter. Yeah. And then, with, but he didn't have you, he didn't have like USA on his thing. It was just like a black tank top. Yeah. And then he had like that tank thing that he wrote yeah, around. He's like, he's like fatigue bottoms, like he's like in cargo pants that are like fatigues. Yeah, I'm trying to think if he had fatigues or yeah, I think so. I can't but remember. Black, yeah, I can't remember top. if he had like uh, like camouflage. Then like, then he had like a like he had like one of those drill sergeant hats. Just oh yeah, like yeah. melted onto his. Oh head. yeah, it wasn't. It you didn't come off. off or anything. Yeah. but it wasn't the same sergeant slaughter figure that you sent away for. Yeah, I didn't have that one. I had the one that came with the tank. What a great marketing campaign G.I. Joe had, where you had like. You can send away and get the refrigerator Perry, the football player. I had refrigerator Perry. You can yeah. make your own guy. You know, you, I you, did that. You know, you can get, make the Cobra or whatever. Major Ricochet was what I named him. <laughs> See how awesome that is? I never had any of this. They had those exclusive uh, stuff you can order that were only like in the foldout. Like I got the Cobra Hiss that way. There's a couple other vehicles that you, oh, that, yeah, you yeah. that were really rare that you can only get by sending away. I I sent away for the for the Cobra Commander that had the um, not the mask but like the. Um, like the cloak thing? The cloak face. You know, and like I, the yeah, yeah. Handkerchief. I had that for a day, and then my fucking cousin tried to see what his face looked like underneath and, and ripped, ripped it off. Yeah. And then, Some son of a bitch. Goddamn kids. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, there's other, like, a lot of other exclusives that you were only able to send away from. But th- those were, that's another thing. It's like, you know, you get that shit on Christmas morning, you open it up. And I always loved, which I don't know, also, if it's that tr- tradition that's lost, where they had, like, the insert you'd open up. Oh, and yeah. it was like one side was like say the uh, Autobots, the other side was the Decepticons on like some rock planet, and it was like everybody you will never be able to get. You're like, <laughs> Holy shit! It's everybody's. I there. feel like sometimes it was like a poster on the one side, and then the yeah. catalog stuff on the back. You know, we my mom was my mom let me send away for stuff. Like I said, I had refrigerator Perry. I did the major ricochet thing. Although I think I paid for the major ricochet thing. Well, and it was like, make your like own, you would make your fill own, out right. Yeah, you fill out all the information, and you would get. It was very generic. Generic. I was like, just name. Name, name, yeah, I mean, you, they didn't make the I, all the characters look this, like yeah, it was yeah, one yeah. guy. Yeah. And you just named him and filled out the information, and it was would have been cool if they sent you like the file card, the card, yeah, like you had with you the other GI away, Joes. Yeah. But it was like a full sheet file card. It was like a, like not a card, piece of paper, yeah. and it would have all the information that you wrote in, and then. You might have even got dog tags. That's sweet. With his name on there. Yeah. I remember I got him and he had this big helmet that didn't come off. It was yeah. like his head was Because they don't, it's you underneath. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he had this big helmet. Brilliant design. And he was almost like off balance because his head was so big compared yeah. to the rest of his body. So he had these skinny legs and like tan khaki skin tight pants with. You know, boots. He's probably just a repurposed figure. Yeah, and I remember thinking, like, he look he looks weird. So what I did was I took uh, General Hawk apart. Yeah. And took his uh, camouflage pants that were a little bit bulkier. Put them on. And him. put them on. Put him on my guy, so he looked a little little cooler. That's another thing I remember. Like when your GI Joes would break, and my parents would like they showed me how to do it. So I, I would I would endlessly break their eyeglass screwdrivers because you take this, yeah, so, yeah. you know. Then you'd use like a uh, you'd have to get the, a small enough like uh, rubber or elastic to, to go in there, and then and you did it if you didn't do it the right way. It was GI Joes. What they should have done was sell 
like the rubber bands. Yeah, yeah. Or you have like a pack of fifty rubber bands. Well, they did that. I remember they used to have like you get weapons that way. So you have yeah. to have you know, or have it customized, like sell. Oh, just like the legs. pants, and stuff. yeah, you know, and <laughs> or like, replacement limbs, yeah, or chain, you know, you, yeah, because you know, you I guess break they a want thumb, you to buy the new guy, you know, and buy yeah, the guy again. Yeah, that's a, I guess another way. Maybe they just didn't want to deal with that. But a lot of the, uh, a lot of the, those guys were weird, like you know, the Strato Vipers are the ones that had huge freaking helmets, but then thin bodies that fit into yeah, like yeah. the, the uh, guys. Those were the days. How about the catalogs? I remember getting like the Sears or JC Penney's catalog and like, you know, flipping right past the bras and the panties <laughs> section. And you get to that toy section, you, that was some of the best stuff yeah. to get and in your September. mom held on to it for like years yeah. so you're looking at the toys for like three years straight it's yeah. not even the same they don't have those toys anymore <laughs> I don't think they make mask toys anymore <laughs> or or uh, whatever this weird thing is you know but it's like getting to the toy section that's another lost thing like you would order you'd circle what you want it's like all that stuff and I don't even know if they make catalogs rain anymore. checks rain checks <laughs> Yeah, kids yeah. don't know what for. Yeah. <laughs> kids today, they don't know. Do they know what layaway is? About going to a store and that they don't have the thing you want. And your mother's incensed that they don't have it, so they'll give you a rain check. Give you a rain check. Yeah. Or layaway, like, you know, you, you couldn't, your parents couldn't afford it, so they, yeah. I don't know, if would it, would it be like financing a car? Do you get it, or do you pay it off before you get it? That I don't know. I don't, I don't remember. Think my parents ever did that. Neither did mine, but, but I, remember I remember like kids would buy a like crazy. Like, yeah. oh, this shit's on sale this week, and they yeah. don't have it. Yeah. We're getting a rain check for today. Yeah. We're paying we're paying the sale price. Yeah, my mom was even all though you're not gonna get it that. for like two months. That was like my <laughs> shit when my mom would have like a like you know, like the file cars, the G.I. Joe's files would fit in like a box she'd have that full of coupons yeah and we go to the supermarket and she had a freaking coupon for everything and then we'd sit there and you know check it out and she'd have going through looking for her coupons and that was a big thing when we were little coupons man. 1989 batman yeah i think it was not the batman figure but the joker figure yeah i think i had to get a rain check on that one from caldors wow from caldors that's we just brought caldors <laughs> up like two weeks ago <laughs> Yeah. Maybe in the Star Wars. In the Clifton Star Country Wars. Mall. No longer. It's not called the Clifton Country Mall anymore. Yeah. But at Clifton Park, New York, there was a Cal Doors in the mall. And I remember going there, and they didn't have it. We got we got that show. We got a rain check. I remember that summer, just every week I'd have to, I, my mom, I drug my mom out to the Hamden Plaza to try to find, like, G- Batman T-shirts, because they were all out. No one, you know, and then you'd see the odd kid at school had a T-shirt, and you're like, fuck. Or they had the really good one, and then you'd find a real shitty one, and you know, every week, do you have T-shirts? No, like you go to Bradley's or Calor's, like no, we're not getting. I any had in. some cool Batman shirts. Yeah, in fact, I because I obviously grew out of them, but you know who didn't grow out of them was Mike Morona. Oh yeah, our good friend. So I somehow once in a while I'll get a, I'll get like a selfie sent to me. <laughs> oh, you gave him to him? <laughs> yeah, where he's wearing like this button-down Joker shirt that I had from like 1989. <laughs> Mike Morona is is the actor from. Uh, uh, very apropos because he's in home. He's in both Home Alone movies. He's in the Home Alone movies. He's yeah. Kevin. You're such a disease. He's like the cousin. He's and he was in. From, he was Big Pete from Pete and Pete. And he's in yeah. a bunch of other stuff. And we went to college with him. He's in old, school. Old college buddy of ours. Uh, but when we were in college, I was I was gaining weight like nobody's business. Yeah. So like I was just growing out of every pair of clothes I had because I was skinny until then. So you were just giving him that? And so I was just giving him stuff. I still wear the jacket he gave me 15 years on or 16 years on. He gave me a nice bike messenger jacket so that Every I once in a while I'll get like this selfie of him in a Joker shirt or like a Batman t-shirt that I gave him. Yeah, he's not aging or he, he and he's not putting weight on. He just had a baby. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah, him and his wife. Um, 
that was a big thing growing up in like you know uh, Christmas morning getting the present you wanted. I remember a couple of Christmases where I didn't get what I like. You know, you, you write this whole freaking list out, send it to Santa. Yeah. Then Santa wouldn't get you it, and then Santa, you have a what meltdown. Do you do? <laughs> yeah, and then your parents are like you you don't you don't do you know you don't that's what happens. You don't you're not grateful for anything. Like, but I didn't get any what I wanted. You know, I remember like in 1987, I after GI Joe the movie came out, I had ordered uh, I wanted all these GI Joes, and all yeah, I got was like, like the Cobra Law stuff. Yeah, all I got was the Cobra Law three pack. It was like Galobulus. The, and then Mrs. Enforcer and the guy, and that was the only G.I. Joe shit I got. Yeah. And then I got, I got like, clothes. And I'm like, you fucking kidding me? And then it was this big fight Christmas morning. I, got, I was like, I got no, uh, I got no Ghostbusters. <laughs> I got no G.I. Joe, you know, but, you know. And I got no, like, new, you know, all the new Transformers from after the movie, all that new generation toys. I didn't yeah. get any of that, so I was so pissed. Son of a but you think about nowadays how much money your parents are dropping, like, getting a Nintendo Entertainment System or, you know. Yeah. Then you're not playing with the shit. Oh, God, I'd feel so bad. You buy all this stuff, especially nowadays, how much, like, uh, I was just talking about that in one of our last casts. You go to toys, toys, or a toy store, and it's like, shit's so expensive. Yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous. And, like, well, our stuff was semi-affordable, but nowadays I feel like it's insane. Like, my brother will send me texts that's like, you know, because, you know, I've got to buy gifts for my... I mean, I don't have to, but I'd like to buy gifts for my nephew. So every once in a while, I'll ask him, what is he into right now? But there, there is part of me where he's like, well, he's into this. And I'm like, you know what? I don't care what he's into. I'm going to get him what I think is cool. Yeah, and, yeah, and then you, maybe you might start a trend <laughs> with him. You might be able to, like, you know... Oh, he... <laughs> his earliest memories got... I bought a, I The minute he was bored, I started buying him Spider-Man stuff. I'm like, this kid is going to love Spider-Man. I don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, he, I, got, I bought him a TV tray so he could sit on the floor... Yeah, I started buying him. TV. I started buying him Spider-Man stuff so that it would be there once he started to be able. Didn't to Didn't you get him like a print things. on the wall, like an original? Thing yeah, of? I got him a Stan Lee signed like animation stuff. Yeah, that's like on the frame. <laughs> like, this kid of... is gonna love Spider-Man. God I don't damn care. it, I'm he's gonna, gonna be a Marvel sure kid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but so, this is the, so the, the, so Santa Claus the movie, 1985. This is 1985. From, you know what? The I'm trying to think. 1985 might have been the year that I, I don't remember what year that Sergeant Slaughter thing came out. But that could have been that summer. It was right around. Well, the, he was pushing 86 as the uh, G.I. Joe the movie, and he I remember he I was guess, big. Yeah, in I guess that that tank was probably from that movie. You know, and then he was because he was also the same time the ones doing the intros and outros on TV when he's like, "Listen, you sons of bitches." <laughs> You remember when they they show it like on a Sunday morning, yeah, or they yeah. did a five part series? They break the movie up into five chapters. Yeah, you know that was like '86, or he you was. Yeah, you do. Uh, when you're growing up, did you do a real tree or a plastic tree? Always real. We always. My dad had a real tree, and my mom had a plastic tree. Always had a real one. Then I go like to my friend's house, and he had a plastic tree, and I was like, "You still have this sorry piece of shit?" But now I have a plastic tree because uh, I live in an apartment, so it's like you know it's. It's easier. I would think it would be easier to get a, to use the fake tree, but it seems like it's harder. Last year, I had swore I was going to get a real tree this year because, you know, it, it takes longer getting that thing out of the box and then trying to straighten everything out so it yeah, looks right. Yeah. And then afterward, trying to... I don't know who packs that box, but you'll never be able to get that Christmas tree <laughs> back in that box. You know, it's well, the hanging one out had, of the box. The one I had growing up, you know, you'd put the, you know, the, the base part together, like the tree part. Yeah. You know, that Into was like three pieces. Yeah, yeah. So it was like just the, st- and then you'd have to put every like branch in separate. Oh no, thing. mine now. Maybe this is the Aeronite. It's like it's almost like an umbrella, and then yeah. it opens, you know, upside down, so they flops out. But yes, th- that's no. how my old my friend Martin had. Like yeah, it was, yeah. old, they, and to me, that was like then, part. It was like a puzzle. You know, like, is this the, yeah. this one on the bottom of the top? But it, it looks <laughs> weird because it all looked like like pipe cleaners to me. You know, it didn't look as you yeah. know like or or like you know. I, I, I can't imagine you look at, like, the Charlie Brown Christmas special where, like, were there really, like, aluminum Christmas trees that they were people were buying in the 60s My and 70s? My grandfather had, like, a big 
like a, I don't know how big it was. I was really yeah, little. Yeah, so it's huge. Dude. It's so, 20 feet tall. So my grandfather, my dad's side, um, he always had like some big, like shiny metallic <laughs> tree. That must have been like the in vogue, the 60s, <laughs> you know, like, you know, the back in the, you know, the swinging days. Of, you know. Yeah. And I, like I said, my memory, it was huge, but I was also like four or yeah. five. So, yeah, I, um, there, we have a lot of stuff. That, that's another thing with me is I love the village. You know, in later life, every year I try to buy a piece of the... It's a very sad time of the year for me, full disclosure, because we, we've um, found a cat, a kitten, in May of this year. So we, we took it in, got it fixed, and now the cat is in the kitten. It's still a kitten because it's less than a year old, but it's full size now. Yeah. And, and she's a maniac. She is destroyed. She's breaking everything in her house. So I'm learning, like, how did humans ever domesticate cats because they're just so destructive they don't listen whatever so we've come to the realization we can't decorate this year because can't the cat have, will can't have nice things yeah you can't have nice things because the cat will destroy the tree you know I'm going away this year uh, I'm going to be in England you know for Christmas so it's like the cat will set the house on fire yeah. So now it's a real sad time there. We could we we've, we've been able to put the wreath out on the front door, but aside from that, we can't have anything nice in, inside the house. So it's it's a it's a sad time in the buy a household uh, because well. of this damn cat. But that was a big thing for me is like getting the 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 village and putting that together, and then every year we'd get another building or piece to, to you know we named it Willoughby after the uh, episode of the Twilight Zone. Next up, Willoughby because Willoughby in that episode is the idyllic place that this guy's you know. Yeah, wanting yeah. to go to so it's always a, a good time I like the tradition of it like there's some there's still some pieces at my parents house that like we've had since childhood like you know we helped every year them decorate the tree sure. so putting the ornaments on and like you, you look at yourself as an asshole hey look it's me 1984 <laughs> I glued this son of a bitch together and like the shitty you know yeah yeah and you know, you had a paper mache. You'd make an ornament that, you, that your parents still have to put up every year. You know, <laughs> <laughs> from, from, you know, and that actually is funny because in second grade. Which was for me was 1986 to 87. Uh, at Christmas time, they had us do uh, shoebox dioramas. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you take the shoebox and you inside you do some sort of Christmas scene. So what I did was, I had seen this movie I guess the year before. I did a Santa Claus diorama where I drew Santa Claus and the reindeer flying. And then I had in the background was the New York City skyline. So I took like you know I cut out. A cardboard like a, a shitty New York City skyline <laughs> yeah. took aluminum foil and I aluminum foiled it to the back and made it all shiny and that was my diary which I still have and you know and then then I think what I did was I like took Christmas wrapping paper and wrapped the shoe box so it didn't look like you know it wasn't like Reebok <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah you know and you know I got like an A on it but it's still and it's so shitty now when you look at it and, like it's all two-dimensional terrible well I was seven at the time but like that's a direct reference from this movie from well, Santa Claus get the movie. into it Santa Claus the movie yeah yeah starring a Dudley Moore uh, uh, the late great Dudley Moore. Yeah, man, how cool was Dudley Moore back in the day? He was so hot when this came out too. You know, Arthur on the Rocks. I think was right after this, uh, which is what uh, I think eighty six, eighty seven, eighty eight. The sequel to Arthur, and he had done like Foul Play, and then like you know people forget Milo and Otis. Remember, he's the voice. He's like the narrator, Milo, Milo yeah. and Otis, and then um. And then there's that movie you always bring up <laughs> with him and Kurt Cameron. Yeah, where it's like they, they did the, that series of yeah, like, like that Friday, Freaky Friday, Freaky Friday, Friday vice movies. versa. And then, then then I never, I've never even heard of a the Kurt Cameron one where Dudley Moore did it. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Well, Dudley Moore, uh, this was something I was going to research before we watched this, and I completely forgot to do it, was that like, he was part of a comedy duo yeah, he has in some, England before he... He had a really weird upbringing. Like he, when he was little, he had like a club foot, and he had something else wrong with the other foot, and he, and he had like a, extensive surgeries to like write himself, and people didn't think he'd be able to walk, doctors and stuff, and then he got behind a piano and became like a musical prodigy. And he, I think he, like, uh, he finished school, he got out of school early and went to college really young. He went to Oxford to study music, and he became, like, amazing at, uh, you know, composing and, and p- piano specifically, music. And then somehow that segued into um, him, you know, b- b- meeting somebody or he got on stage. I, you're right. I, I should have researched this too. And he got into comedy and that yeah. was what, what his calling became. He's like, he liked comedy more than doing like, um, you know, composing and all kinds of other kind of, um, uh, performance and, and music based stuff, which is weird. And then he, he became this, this, uh, this, this whole kind of, uh, you know, he became known for his comedy, which is really weird. And then, you know, he ended up getting in 1999 uh, this really rare disease, progressive uh, supranuclear uh, palsy with PSP, and, and it was a degenerative de- uh, brain disorder, which is related to Parkinson's. And he went pretty quick. And uh, it's, it's, you know, it's amazing. He, he mastered the violin and the piano at such an early age uh, through a scholarship at... Um, he went to Oxford, like we said, and but then he drifted towards comedy, and he was part of this comedy troupe, like in the '60s into the '70s, and then I think that's how yeah. he, he was able to get a start here. They're called Beyond the Fringe yes. from the '60s, and then he went on and kind of teamed up with one of the guys from that named Peter Cook. Yeah, and uh, they collaborated on a television series called Not Only but Also. So he they then be kind of you know started off uh, you know you I, I remember i saw that stuff and where i learned that stuff it was some kind of documentary or something and they were showing the comedy troupe like on stage and uh and then him and his, that partner cook them doing the television stuff and see like a young dudley moore it was it reminded me a lot of uh davy jones like the knack and how to get it oh okay like that's that a 60s rare. Yeah. you know like kind of beat that, <laughs> you know, it's like, British. yeah, it's like everyone's like the like the everyone's on scooters, and there's like the there's there's two different there's mods. There was two yeah, different yeah. styles at the time because my mother-in-law was like a mod. Yeah, you know, yeah. you're hitting the back of the scooter, and it's very progress, like artsy scene. And well, there's it's a very the, specific, yeah, feel uh, and like brand of British comedy that's very. 60s yeah very like with the dated just like the way the music is and uh, yeah it's it's, it's not even like benny hillish it's like no no it's, it's, it's not like that it's, it's all not very like cheeky yeah like it's benny all very Hill. it's 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 sophisticated and dated and, and then it's one step removed because we're not from the the country so it's yeah even stranger on us trying to <laughs> yeah, yeah. To, to, although to, i i although you know. I, I actually really like the movie the knack and how to get it so if yeah. anybody's interested in checking out michael uh Crawford, yeah, maybe. who became known for playing Phantom of the Opera in the eighties. Fabulous soundtrack as well. I have that. Yeah, soundtrack. it's got a great jazzy. Yeah, 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 organ soundtrack and stuff like that. That's something we watched. But I remember movie. seeing clips of that stuff, and it seemed like a very similar type of humor. Uh, yeah, to me. And then I guess yeah, and then like in the eighties, you have Ten, Arthur. Yeah. Um, he can't. I remember he is at one of my favorite scenes of of his is in Foul Play. He has that little cameo where. where Goldie Hawn's trying to get away from the albino guy that's following her, and uh, she like gets him to take take her home, and he doesn't realize she's hiding out. 
but he thinks she's like into him so she's like you know he's like he like hits a button and like staying alive comes on <laughs> and hits another button like please you know, that's it's, it's like, so it's funny and it's she's like you have binoculars because she's looking out the window he's like oh you're into that too and he gets her like binoculars and it's, like, you know, it's a perfect other. character for yeah him. It's, it's freaking and he's only in that scene and that's like the most memorable scene in the entire movie for me yeah. but then he does Arthur and Arthur's so good and then uh, he had a span of hits in the 80s and then he kind of like the 90s hit, and then when he was diagnosed, I remember that happened really quickly when he was diagnosed with his with his the, the degenerative disease. And I remember one of the saddest things I heard was that like he had to turn down a role, and then he couldn't play the piano anymore. And that yeah. was like, and then he just that and he passed really quickly, which was so sad. Yeah, yeah. Good night, folks. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah Merry, on that note, Merry Christmas. Yeah, I mean, you also have in it too. Um, uh, what's his name? The um, David Huddleston. David Huddleston. Uh, yeah. For people will know, recently he's the Big Lebowski in the Big Lebowski. He's also in a really good early Jeff Bridges western, which I forget the name of, but he's great in this too as Santa Claus. Yeah, he's uh, he kind of plays. I don't know. Almost obviously visually. Yeah. He's kind of hitting the stereotypical. Santa Claus, but I feel like he plays like an atypical Santa Claus. Well, he plays him like innocent. Like, he kind of like, I guess that was what they were going for. Like, they wanted him to be like an innocent child, like, and yeah. that's part of the tradition. They say that this is a, a movie where, up until then, they had never really did a movie about Santa Claus himself. So they were trying to explore the myth. So the first half of this movie, I think it's like the first 40 minutes, is all the exploration yeah. of the myth and how Santa Claus, and them explaining away... You know, the, I love all the ideas of how Santa became Santa with his wife. The, 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 the <laughs> yeah. You know. Well, here's the thing. I mean, there's 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 different aspects to get into this. Yeah. I mean, you can get into like all the. There's a big what if game thing to play with this one, which yeah. is where we decide where we talk about these are people who are discussed who are either going to direct it or write it or be in it, and then what would the movie have been like? We speculate. Uh, there's a lot of that going on. There's the, a little bit about the making of the movie in terms of the guys that produced it. Yeah. Um, uh, Ilya it was Salkin last movie together. and Pierre Spangler, who, um, who for, I mean, they'll probably both always be known for doing the Superman series. Yeah. Uh, before that, they had done some Three Musketeers movies, and then they produced all those uh, Christopher Reeves Superman movies and Supergirl. Yeah. Which is the director where our, our, our man who came off of this um, is, um, what's his face? The director who had just d- directed Sup- uh, Supergirl at the time, Jeannot Schwartz, I think is how you, you pronounce it. He's a French guy who, uh, he, he'd worked well. He'd just done Supergirl. He was coming off of Supergirl. And because at the time, Supergirl and Superman 3 weren't panning out as weren't as successful as they thought of it. They just jumped into something really quickly. Yeah. So they grabbed this property. Which, you know, he's, you know, he, if you look at like his... The director. I, yeah, the director. Yeah. Uh, w- if you look at his, like, television. Extensive. I, it, like, if it's you look amazing. at his IMDb page, like, from the 70s into the 80s, like, every television show you can think of. He, he did the bulk of the Night Gallery, I think it was. Uh, a lot of episodes there. He did a really classic episode of Columbo where um, it's the Vincent Price episode where... You know, you always think that, like, whoever the famous person is on the episode is the killer, and Vincent Price is not the killer in that episode. Um, Spoiler alert. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Which is good, though, because that's refreshing, because you would expect him to be the killer, you know. Uh, There's a funny Family Guy episode, like, little vignette where it's, like, Columbo, and they're like, uh, Columbo, somebody dies. like, okay, uh, who's the star? (laughs) They're like, oh, okay, he's the killer, you know. It's very funny. But you're right, and then you look at, like, he... He did a, a bunch of episodes of Kojak. He hit like every yeah, major Rockford show, Files. Rockford Files, like Canon. He did like 
all the great uh, um, um, Beretta. He did yeah, all yeah. these amazing shows, and not only that, he did like like really quintessential episodes of these. Yeah. And then he did like the Twilight, the the, the remake of the Twilight Zone yeah. series in the eighties. So he's coming off a really extensive, impressive, uh, right, a lot of great like every. It's one career. of those guys. Like we'll, we'll often mention that with like actors. Yeah. Like if you don't know who this guy is, if you saw him, you know who he was because he was in every television show yeah. growing up. So this is a guy who's directed like every television, like important the television classics. series. Yeah, yeah. Like in the seven, six, uh, 70s and 80s. But he also directed Jaws 2. He directed a, a personal favorite movie of mine. Time After Time? <laughs> no, not Time After Time. Okay. I'll be always confused with Time After Time. Somewhere in Time? I'm sorry. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I knew that's what, that's what I meant. The Christopher Reeve one. I do Richard love Madison. Time After Time, but I, but I have a special place in my heart for the Christopher Reeve yeah. uh, t- uh, time And there's a whole other story with the Jaws 2 thing, but I guess the, 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 the movie was in shambles because that director had quit. Uh, and then he was brought in, and he had to like re- reshoot everything. There's a big story with that. Yeah, yeah. If we ever get around to doing Jaws, and too. then after the '80s, they got back in the television, and then he's doing stuff up until now. Up until now, like he did a bunch of episodes of Smallville, which is kind of, uh, you know, Superman, Supergirl related, and he even he done Grey's Anatomy, uh, you know, everything. So he's a really interesting. Uh, guy who was experienced in all kinds of d- different things yeah and it was like a really he was like i think he was born in like it was he was his family like escaped germany right before world war Two, and then it was he was a hot he got into maybe in france or england i forget where he got into the tv business then he's like you know where if i want to pursue this where do i go he went to went right to hollywood yeah and that's how he got into the t- you know getting all these opportunities to, to direct episodic television and then that led itself to feature films and maybe I don't know if Jaws 2 was his first feature film but then it led to like an impressive yeah. career at and the very he, least it was his first feature film of like note of like popularity yeah you know? and then he gets to like the, the he gets on board with the Superman movies he didn't direct the first two but or even the third he get direct Supergirl but yeah. he gets on board with that whole team that's doing them at the time out of Pinewood Studios and the England. guy who wrote this movie David Newman yeah he wrote it with his wife but then Newman took the credit yeah yeah so I think <laughs> it might in like IMDb, she gets like story by credit, yeah, yeah. but he ended up ta- kind of taking it. That might have been like a, who you never know. That could have been like a writers guild, yeah, thing. Um, but he had written Bonnie and Clyde, yeah, from the '60s, and then he wrote like all the Superman films, yeah. So that's obviously like where. He and you know, when you look at this, it has a very Superman Donner Superman feel, yeah, yeah. and it's because totally. of this is one of these movies where we we seem to tiptoe in this realm all the time, where this is like. A couple of years later, if this movie got made, it would have been all CGI, yeah. really shitty CGI. And it's amazing what they were able to accomplish with this movie, thinking that it's almost all practical stuff. I mean, it, some of it does look dated, but it's all done practically, which, you know, if they try to do this nowadays, you know, not only like the whole thing was when they were casting the, the elves for this movie or the uh, Vedicoms that the... the, the, the that they, I guess, are part of the Scandinavian kind of um, heritage of the lore, is that they wanted the actors to be under 5'2". But nowadays, you think what they would do is they'd probably just cast whoever they want and just shrink them, you know? So it's like all... You just think of all the things they would have done differently today with the CGI and the elves and reindeer and the, the, you know, the miniature work. I mean, as you watch this movie, it's not surprising that these are basically the guys that made the Superman movies. Yeah. Because you're right, it totally has all the flying stuff. Yeah, all that... Is really great. Yeah. And it looks... You're right, it has that feel. In fact, all those... 
like all that all New those York shots all that, those yeah. are probably just re- those very well could just be recycled shots and they're not no I, uh, the director talks about that no he went out really early in production got permits with a helicopter and they did everything because they were like are they recycled yeah. he's like no we redid it all purposely for this and they actually went past what their permits were allowed them to do because this yeah. helicopter's flying around late at night going up and down yeah but it's, I mean, you know? it's great and he said it's like they, they shot it around February of like I guess maybe 84 <clears throat> or 80 I guess it would have been 84 so um, you know the that it was, they really had like you know carte blanche on what they wanted to do. Yeah, and, I mean all that. But area, you were right; it, a lot of it looks like it could have yeah, been yeah. recycled Superman footage. Well, just because it's so great. Yeah, it's you know, beautiful. And you know, and you know that Superman. You know, yeah. there was everything was behind money wise. Everybody was behind Superman, and it was like you know, the ad campaigns is like you'll never, you know, like after you see this, you'll believe a man can fly or something. And so like right. the, f- the flight stuff was uber important to the yeah. Superman movies. But it's this stuff the. The aerial footage is absolutely stunning in this movie. And then the keying effects of having them flying over. I don't know if it's rear projection or keying or what whatever they did. It's really I effective. I think it's a lot of a lot of both. I mean, at the time they were using like green screen technology and then they would then use they had like a uh they did like miniature work and it looks like Barbie sized. And yeah, it's yeah. unbelievable the when they go between like these miniature uh, animatronics of like the Santa and the sleigh to like the practical stuff. It's like you know, and this stuff is act- actually still used. I now know in the Radio City. That's the footage that you see in in the New York City area when they do Radio City uh, the Rockettes. All that footage of Santa flying is all from this movie, and they just. They've, I don't know if they've had license to it or whatever, <laughs> but they've been using it every year since. Yeah, all yeah. the sparkly stuff and Santa flying by, that's all from this movie. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's uh, I mean, it's an interesting movie yeah. um, in that... Yeah, okay, the concept of, all right, let's, like, do an origin story. Yeah. You know, like it's, I mean, essentially, it is like Superman. I mean, it's like a superhero story. Yeah. And <laughs> let's, let's do the origin story of Superman and then branch off to modern day um and uh i don't remember what you just said about the beginning but it's 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 interesting it's cool but it's also like incredibly fucked up it's it's frightening because it gets very scary really quickly i mean the opening shot is like um this beautiful like uh it's basically where i want to live except just have wi-fi access it's like this <laughs> you know it's snowing out they're in this cottage and like you know they're they're, yeah. they're telling the story of san or of, of this old of this of this legend and then our our uh our man uh hiddleston comes and he's giving he's giving toys yeah, out this is, we're talking it's like know, centuries ago this is it's probably like the 1500s because it looks like just four centuries passed yeah, before yeah. they get to where we are and then he leaves his his wife who in the movie um, is played by a great act- actress, Judy Cornwell. And I know her from one of my favorite English shows, Keeping Up Appearances. She goes on to do that show in the uh, 90s, and she's hilarious in that. She's uh, 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 married to the guy Onslow in the show. It's very funny. But she's in it as, as, as Mrs. Claus, and then they go off to go deliver the presents, and they get stuck in this, like, whiteout conditions. Yeah. And she, they're with uh, Donner and Blitzen, or the two reindeer <laughs> at the time. Where's <laughs> they deliver to a group of kids and then we start to get the backstory they can't have kids themselves yeah. so he delivers so he makes all these toys himself despite the fact that he has like a day job yeah you know so he spends all his extra time making all these toys so that his warm can, heart yeah, yeah so that he can deliver uh these his these toys to the yeah. kids uh, in the area and the, the the woman the old elder lady before he comes is explaining the 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 mythos of the uh uh vetticoms which are the elves 
and uh, what they're all about. And then he comes, delivers the toys, grabs Mrs. Claus, Judy Cornwell, and then they set off to go like over to the next valley or s- town yeah, to yeah. deliver more things. And he's like, you know, the kids got to get their presents for Christmas or whatever the holiday. I don't know if it's really Christmas yet, but the, yeah, the, yeah. Fe- the f- festive season. And they caught they caught in this blizzard, and it gets really frightened. Like, they're going to die, and it's scary. Well, they kind of like, do. I mean, like Donner and Blitzen or whatever. Yeah, they whatever pass, the two raindoors. It's Donner and Blitzen. They, they end up, they end up um, they, they <laughs> succumbing to, like, freaking... Uh, they pass out. They collapse in the snow. Yeah, it gets... It, 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 shit they're gets like real, in, really quickly. <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah. like, in whiteout conditions. And then he just, like, gives... And Santa just, like, gives up, gets back in his thing. He's trying to help her, and he just and he just, just kind of like cuddles her. And then they like essentially. It's the end of the shining. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you could you could essentially look at it like they just died. They yeah. froze to death. Yeah, and then you know, all of a sudden the North Star shows up, and then uh, you know you have all these elves, and uh, it's yeah, like, it's like all of a sudden it's like the North Star shows up, and then the Fortress of Solitude yeah, sh- yeah opens up. <laughs> And they all come walking out. And they said they wanted to, they, they made a decision in the, when making the movie that they didn't want it to necessarily be overtly religious. They try, they wanted to follow the lore of Father Christmas. Yeah, yeah. You know, they were going to, they were, they, they, they kind of settled on doing the Anglo, Anglo Saxon version of Santa because, like, I guess, like the Russian version, some other ones have him having like a cloak yeah. and stuff like that. So they kind of settled on that. But they kind of, you know, with the North Star, they kind of, made nods at religion but they didn't want it to be overtly religious yeah, at all yeah it's not you know, you know it's not like the birth of Jesus yeah Christmas. and as well as this and they also or St. Nicholas for that matter yeah and then, then they also made a distinction about like the, the elves they didn't want them to look grotesque so that's why they don't have like you know yeah. ear you know pointy ears like Spock and stuff they want to be a little colorful and these these uh, Vericoms they it, it's 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 such a interesting idea and I didn't know that like you know we're huge into novelizations and it's the the Santa Claus the novelization movie which was written by the sci-fi fantasy novelist Joan Verge in the novelization they talk about the elves you know they they um they keep watch over what happens in the world uh because their their world like borders the, the this magical realm that they live in and the very common, uh, they're described as extremely fond of children and because uh, they have the youth of innocence in them and they love making presents but, and giving them to the world, giving to the children of the world, but it's getting increasingly harder for them to do it because of the fall of different civilizations. So there's, with the passing of each new century, um, there, there, there's been this um, oracle or this prophecy that someone will come to them and be able to deliver. So for years, all they've been doing is making these toys and just throwing them away in like whatever they they call it, like a toy tunnel. Yeah. And uh, the prophecy comes true where they find yeah, this guy. Like the prophecy is like this man, this man who has like a child, a heart who, of gold, who can't have his own children. Yeah. Will love child, all children of the world. And then we get in this part where it's like, okay, he's he's fulfilling this prophecy. They revive him. They bring him. And then it gets very much... Uh, but it's I, funny, they don't give him a choice. It no, that's very, very much like the James Bond or, 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 or Remo Williams. Williams where it's like, you know, say, you're going to do it. It's very much like but our... But I guess they knew they, he would. Our discussion of, you know, we have a Remo Williams podcast, everyone. <laughs> and, uh, that's the inside And we joke talk here. about it a lot and because uh, nobody listened to it. But in but that... We're not we, bitter. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but in it, we talk about how... <laughs> Remo Williams just kind of like wakes up in the hospital. He's had his face changed. I'm like, all right, this is you're either going to do it or we're going to kill you. Yeah, the CIA, the, the, whatever the special. <laughs> it's kind of like Santa's. Uh, you know, he's got the same dilemma. Here. He's like, well, w- you know, uh, you're fulfilling a prophecy and you're going to live here forever yeah. for eternity. 
and work for you know an endless night of work. Well, that's what they say. They're like <laughs> he's like, why well, can't? How would I possibly be able to do that? And there's a there's a, a a great quote they say to him. They like say that um, you know, the night of the world is is an endless night for you until your work is done. So that's a lot of OT for him on that one night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like you're gonna work at, for eternity, and if you don't like it, like we can put you back in the in the sled in the in and the you can, you'll freeze to death <laughs> and think of your wife you know like, or you can stay here and be our slave basically but he's very on board with it and he's like you know because he has the goodness in it and he has the the innocence you know he accepts it and then they say well also that comes with it you're gonna you know you're gonna live forever and you're gonna be like us the magic dust which they kind of they never really say what the magic dust is but they they had talks that maybe it could be like stardust or something like yeah, that yeah. they don't really explain it away but that's kind of the juice that that forms this thing and they have they bring them to this beautiful set that they they shot it on the james bond the 007 uh, uh sound stage at pinewood the entire sh- movie was shot in pinewood even the new york bits aside from like we were saying that the the the, the, the exterior they had to come to new york to shoot the exterior shots yeah, like the helicopter shots yeah um and it was the largest wooden uh, set ever put together, and you know, because it was all like made of pine and all this kind of like wood, and it weighed so much, and it was so much wood that they had a lot of restrictions with the firemen and fire code and stuff like that. But they wanted it to be look like inside of a toy or a cuckoo clock, and I think it's just so nice in there. Like, and they said it was all functional. It was very much you can live in there because it all, it all connected and it all kind of worked and stuff. And they thought yeah. it all through. So they so the elves bring Santa to this like their workshop, and you know, there's all this stuff on how they do it. So it's almost like an exploratory version, with, like with him, we're learning about everything. Like, how does this work, and how? Yeah, what, yeah. You know, and then it well, yeah, he's our it, he's our MacGuffin. vessel yeah. into the into this world. And uh, they're all very nice. And Dudley Moore's kind of like not the head elf, but he's like one of the primary principal elves in it. And like you know, he's he's very much. And you know, we should say that like it's all because of really Dudley Moore that this thing took off because he was very hot at the time, and they were looking. You know, for for a property form, and he liked this, so you know he's the one who kind of got this going, and uh, so he kind of had say over director and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, a lot of people, for, uh, they they talked to Carpenter for a minute to direct this bad boy. <laughs> well, yeah, the, I, I don't know if that how that would have worked what out. If, the what if game is immense on this one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and also I, I, it's tough because you know we're just. You know, this is just stuff we've seen online, so who knows the accuracy of it. But um, supposedly, the first director they went to for this was John Carpenter. But uh, ultimately, John Carpenter, especially in that, at some point in the 80s, John Carpenter was like, he was more interested in uh, creative control than... And he had just had that flop of The Thing was a flop. Well, The Thing was a flop in the early 80s, and... Then Christine, he might have been coming off a of Starman, which is why they might have thought of him for this. Well, I thought he would have been coming off a of Christine, like around because that was, was like 80, yeah, true. This is eighty three, eighty four, and they're in the pro- you know he flopped with the thing, and he's looking for like a big commercial movie. But it's interesting of all directors, they go to him, and like you say, not only did he want financial, uh, financial for, for creative control, he also wanted to have kind of the score. So you can imagine like the Coupe de Ville, yeah, yeah. like <laughs> he wanted to say, he wanted to score. say in the script, he wanted to say in the score, and he wanted final cut of the movie. Yeah. Um, and they're like, okay, see you later. <laughs> which they just, ra- and he has uh, supposedly has said that he would have cast Brian Dennehy, yeah, in the role of Santa Claus. And Brian Dennehy, even though when Carpenter leaves the project, he's still envisioned as Santa. Which is, I kind of agree ultimately with what they say. They they say that eventually they wanted a more lighter 
Dennehy brings a presence. And yeah. like Dennehy, if you look at Dennehy, I'm sure he probably has played Santa at one point or the other. That would have looked great, but it just would have been an odd choice. And I kind of, I like Huddleston's performance in this because he is kind of like, I don't know, like a, like you said, an atypical. Yeah. yeah. You know, then he could have. I mean, I don't know because I look at him like at the time in the late '80s, he did like that uh, John Wayne Gacy movie. <laughs> yeah, that's very yeah. much imprinted. Or yeah, him I mean, being he the been, asshole sheriff from. Yeah, he would have been coming off of like first, uh, blood. first blood. You know. Um, or but FX, he's, a, he's in FX around that time, the yeah, first FX But he's movie. also a really talented actor, so I think he oh, probably he could have done a great job with it. But it is kind of weird to see him uh, in that role. Now, I don't know if this is true or not, but another piece of information that I heard, um, and I tend to think that it might not be true because I feel like I would have known this about John Carpenter, is I've heard there was somebody had said online that uh, this was, out of all the projects Carpenter was being offered in the 80s, this is the one that he regrets that got away for some reason. It would have been a very interesting, for you being the Carpenter aficionado, how, how do you think he would have played this in the sense of this would have been, to date, the most lightest, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, Big Trouble in Little China is like a comedy. Yeah, but yeah. like you know, and then Mars of Invisible Man is kind of out of his territory in the sense where it's like a noir. But it's like, how how would you have perceived Carpenter doing? Th- I mean, this wouldn't certainly he wouldn't have made it dark. People always joke like you know, if you have like, you know, someone come in and you use John Carpenter, it's going to turn into like a horror movie. Yeah, well, John Carpenter is. Uh, I mean, he would have been a hired gun at this point. Above all else, I mean, I always look at John Carpenter and like a guy like David Cronenberg. I think of as being like an artist. He's got things that he's expressing artistically and obviously you could say that about any director but more than anybody of his generation i feel like carpenter is more of like a craftsman yeah and he is he is uh you know his idols are guys like howard hawks and john ford and um Probably guys like Billy Wilder. I mean, he's 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 his mentality is much more old school. And it's interesting because this director guy, is the director who ends up doing this is a big, huge fan of John Ford. Yeah, so that's why so. at the end they say there's that scene where Santa gives that talk to the reindeer, and that's kind of like the John Wayne talking to like, "Hey boys, we're down, and we need to get this done. Come on, Vixen, Blitz, Blitzer." <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so I, I mean, I think Carpenter would have. I think he he's been pigeonholed as a certain kind of director, but I think he would approach any piece with that uh, with the eye that it needs. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, like Howard Hawks is his idol. I mean, Howard Hawks made you know Real Bravo yeah. and and stuff, but he also made Bring Up Baby. Yeah, you know, I I think Carpenter would have seen it as that kind of opportunity. And even as you look at Big Trouble in China, that I mean the. The Gracie Law character is very much like a Howard Hawks. Yeah, you like know, Catherine Hepburn, yeah, or like a or, Fay Ray, kind of like a yeah. talkie, <laughs> you know, uh, or uh, uh, what's her face and, and his girl Friday, kind of like, yeah. you know, fast talking. I mean, it's definitely. Uh, I think Carpenter would have done an interesting. I don't think I don't think it would be be what most people would think it would be. Yeah, you know, I think he would have. In the soundtrack as well, because he would have. Um, yeah, you wouldn't have I brought think he in. Wanted to, uh, he said, he, "I mean, from what I read, he wanted say in it." Which says, I don't know if it necessarily means he would have done it. Um, it certainly would have been a different score that's in there. I mean, Henry Mancini is a is a master. I mean, yeah. I mean, we all think of him for you know, like Peter Gunn and the jazzy stuff. Yeah, but Henry Mancini did all kinds of stuff even yeah. before Henry Mancini, Henry Mancini was Henry Mancini. He worked on. 
you know, like the universe of horror movies. Like he worked on P- Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah. Even though he wasn't like the main guy, he did cues for it. And then he did Life Force. Yeah. For the Toby Hooper, who was just a crazy movie that we have a fondness for um, in the 80s. Yeah, he did Pink Panther most. But yeah, he's know. best known for like, like that Pink Panthery, Peter Gunn, like, you know, especially the Pink Panther stuff. Yeah, the, the, the Blake Edwards yeah. stuff. Which is very jazzy. That's what we all think of when we think of Henry Mancini. But he was much more of a prolific composer yeah. than than I think people give him credit for. It's very funny that there's a there's a documentary that's on the the Anchor Bay edition. I think it's on the Blu-ray. Uh, it, it's called Santa Claus: The Making of the Movie. And uh, what I like about it is that like uh, in it, Santa talks to you as if he's Santa. And at the very end of this movie, uh, at the very very end, the last shot you see, they actually say. Made by Santa Claus Productions Limited at Pinewood Studios, and they c- come to this documentary like Santa's real, and they've got Santa to like do it. And it's, it reminds me very much of Darby O'Gill and the Little People. That ad campaign for Walt Disney was we we went to Ireland and we found King Brian and the Leprechauns and yeah, we convinced yeah. him. And they even do like a Sunday night special where they have like um, uh, Edmund O'Brien, I think it is, like he's an Irish guy, so they Walt he brings Walt to Ireland to find King O'Brien. And King O'Brien's like, yeah, I'll do it. And, you know, that's the mystique of it. So, um, but in this documentary, they talk to Henry Mancini. It's hilarious at the time when he, when, when they're talking to him, he talks about like, uh, um, just like I, you know, I have an audio background now where I work in television and, uh, you know, there's A2s and A1s. A1s work in front of big boards and in the documentary, he's talking about being in front of audio boards. He's saying, and there's new things called memory. And uh, that's all commonplace nowadays where yeah. like a memory means you could have settings on your board and you could set it and it'll save that way. As yeah. opposed to the old days, you know, you'd have to physically do everything yeah, yourself. Yeah, mark it with tape yeah. or, or and it's so funny that it's, yeah, where then, it's on the board so yeah, you don't lose it. Yeah, nowadays you could, you pro, that's all, that's all, you know, but that was just virgining technology. Then he's talking about like there's these boards and they have memories. And I'm like, holy crap, that's hilarious. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's just a side note I found hilarious for in, in the profession we work in. You know, but he's amazing, you know, and then, then he, he supplies a pretty cool soundtrack in this, you know, for the old... No, uh, it's a great soundtrack. You know. uh, I mean, Mancini's great. I mean, yeah. there's no doubt about it. I don't love the... The pop the stuff? The songs. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the Sheena Easton stuff, and, yeah, you know, yeah. it's but very it's very of its time, but the... I mean, the, you know, we're jumping all around here, but, like, the, the, the soundtrack itself was in such popular demand that... Uh, they ended up releasing in like 2010 or so, they ended up releasing a three disc box set of it. Uh, the original soundtrack went out of print in like n- 2009. Yeah. And then in like 2012, December 2012, they released a, a deluxe three disc set that included 64 tracks, t- totaling over three hours of music with a 32 page, page booklet in it. Um, by a, a, a historian named Jeff Bond, and it, and it has uh, several outtakes, alternative stuff, every piece of sc- music used in the score, and the pop stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's know? a fact. I mean, it's look. I mean, we've talked about scores before because I wrote a book about uh, com- the kind of the art of composing horror movies um, called "Scored to Death," available on Amazon. Uh, but you know, a book like the one I wrote wouldn't have got—I would never have written it had it not been for this kind of resurgence of love and and uh, demand for film scores. Yeah, that kind of started happening in the 2000s. I think a lot of that has to do with the internet. Yeah, and uh, what do you think about vinyl too—the resurgence of vinyl? Well, vinyl that, that's become like a crazy thing now. But but do you uh, think they had a helping hand with each other? 
like vinyl. The resurgence oh, sure. of kind of vinyl helped people, and then like, hey, let's put. I certainly soundtracks of. You know, the popularity of getting, you know, like, you know, Quentin, it's different when you have like Quentin Tarantino, you have a, a soundtrack of his where it's just like song. I mean, you think about that uh, Stuck in the Middle of With You song. Yeah, That's yeah. been out for 20 years and he basically makes that so fa- much famous again because of Reservoir Dogs. It's on music all the time. Prior to that, no one yeah. ever heard that song, really, except you were like, a, you know, a fan of that. But you have th- those songs where he just does some really awesome, like, put some really awesome tunes together. But then you have composers like uh, Ennio Morricone, Henry Mancini, uh, 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 Jerry Goldsmith, who they said they tried to get for this movie, Santa Claus, but he was unavailable at the time, to compose stuff. Yeah. You know, so it's like, you know, these things, I don't know what fuck my point is. Well, I mean, the soundtrack has always been, not always, but it's there's always been an element of it. I think the first score that was released was like like a f- 40s live action version of like the jungle book or something like that um it's in my book <laughs> yeah <laughs> i just don't remember off the top of my head uh and that, i think that might be the first time that an actual score was released on vinyl because that's it was the medium back yeah. then or wax uh, or whatever it was hard yeah. it was like freaking um, 78s back then and like every like we like with the the book adaptations that we always talk about the novelizations yeah I mean that's an art form. I one of uh, for the listeners. I you know most listen. If you've listened to before, you probably you've heard us talk about uh, novelizations and and something I've been collecting for the last I don't know five years or so. And one of the my prize pieces is a first edition. Uh, it's called a photo play. It's not even a, called a novelization. First edition of. Uh, the the lost Lon Chaney movie like London oh at London a- London after midnight yeah or yeah. at midnight or something like yeah, that yeah, yeah. Um, that's the one they only have stills left of him where he's got the yeah and I think all grin. those stills you know how like T- TCM Turner Classic yeah, movies they, yeah I've seen that did it's, that it's not as fu- yeah they 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 have the surviving sk- stills in the soundtrack so what they did was they assembled a uh, what the movie would have been yeah or you but know. I think all those stills come from that book and that because that all yeah because it's like it's not you know, it's not like an illustrated book, but you'll have writings, description of what's happening, and yeah. then there'll be like a series of pictures, and then. Uh, and that's a side <coughs> note of that is like um, that movie's lost to history because of you know whatever the copies burned or whatever. Uh, hopefully, one day, who knows? Maybe it'll show up in somebody's basement. But uh, Cheney Senior walks a weird way in that movie, and then he he like puts his arms up, and he has this like this weird cloak, you know, so it kind of looks like a bat connected. Yeah, yeah. But the way he walks, people say, is what gave Groucho Marx the way the the odd way Groucho Marx of the Marx Brothers walks because he saw Cheney doing it, <laughs> you know. So it's yeah, so yeah. weird that you see, like, people are Marx Brothers fans and, and it's it sourced back to this movie that's not even available anymore. And uh, for anybody, I don't know if anybody watched the show besides me, but there was this great BBC show called uh, Whitechapel. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it only lasted, like, three series, as they say, so yeah. seasons. And the last two episodes all revolved around this movie like a lost but like somebody found a print of this movie and it all revolved. this movie we're talking about the london no, senior movie the Lodge, yeah movie? No, oh london after the, midnight london yeah. after midnight and uh and uh but my point is that's a novelization for a silent movie from like the 30s or yeah. 20s no even. yeah like yeah because he died in like 1930 so like that's a, so that was a nov- so soundtracks movie novelization stuff like that you know pre 
uh, home video. This was the only; these were the only ways you could kind of bring a movie home with you. Was yeah. the score or soundtrack with the songs that were featured in the movie or these novelizations? So soundtracks were always kind of, uh, or even like the sheet music yourself, because oh, prior to yeah, having yeah, sheet music, it's crazy to think about. Like prior to having a record player in the teens of the twentieth century. The, the popular way to like to, 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 to fraternize would be to go to the to the music store, buy the sheet music or whatever's popular, and then you go home and play it in your parlor. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, and have like your wife or your daughter or your girlfriend sing. So I mean how weird is that where like you know parlor games is like you're you're gonna have the sheet music to like freaking like Daisy and then you're playing yeah. along on the piano. It's it's just such a forgotten yeah. and then then you think of how people's minds must have been blown when you can actually take a Victrola home and then play a freaking yeah, it's like yeah. wow you know to be alive for all so that sound checks are always always yeah. a kind of a big deal and always like a, a, a genre in and of itself and then a lot of show tunes oh, that plays was, yeah, that huge. was a big thing um soundtracks to, to musicals yeah especially with the gershwin catalog and the you know and then you have all the composers of like you know um freaking Ber- the um, irving berlin and the rogers and hammerstein and, and uh in the eighties, of course, it was a big thing. And then Andrew, it's, Lloyd, it's uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber with his stuff, and you know, I mean, I could be speaking out of uh, turn here. I mean, and just simply because I might be ignorant to it, but it seemed to me that sound tr- scores started to become less popular once CD kind of took took. Well, over. that's where you get the Quentin Tarantino effect, where you <laughs> yeah, get a, and, and in it's the a Martin com- Scorsese. It's movies. a compilation, yeah, of like great. So it's like basically like a mixtape. Yeah, you know, of songs like "Oh, these are great!" Like you know, "Sunshine of Your Love" on Goodfellas soundtrack. The nineties were full of the Quentin Tarantino movies. Yeah. You got Goodfellas, then you got Bronx Tale was a great soundtrack. Yeah, you have all these sounds. Like you even Jackie have, Brown like, and you know, uh, uh, Judgment Night. Yeah, and The Crow. Like, you know, it was all these. Soundtracks. The Crow was like one of the you know that those are like footprints in our in our generations growing up of like you know these these soundtracks dropping They're and like these time songs. capsules. Yeah, kind of. uh, and especially some of them like you take the crow where songs were written for the soundtrack. They yeah, weren't yeah. just like older songs reappropriated. So you you're I think you're right. I can't offhand think of they were getting released, but I don't think per se that were th- but that were that were like blockbustery yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And then I guess in the early 2000s, they kind of came back. It started to become a little bit of a resurgence. You know, there were also I mean, reissues. You get like Hitchcock's, like Bernard Herrmann's stuff maybe sure, you put sure. on a sound, you know. Or, or you get compilation. Or, or, or the big thing was remastering, when they remaster, you know, and they put that stuff back out on, you know, where it's, it's you know, high fidelity and it yeah. sounds, you know, better. And it's, So I'm, I'm not surprised that this yeah. would get some kind of super deluxe reissue in like 2012. Because that's when it's... The, the soundtracks thing started to come, really come back around, yeah, and now Avengers. it's and now it's all about the vinyl and stuff. Yeah. But um, it's really fascinating. Uh, you know, we spent probably more time on it than we should have, but it's a whole, it's a really interesting thing. And and the whole resurgence of soundtracks, it's a beautiful thing because I mean it's a beautiful kind of almost forgotten or neglected style of music. Yeah. Um, and you know we, we've talked about. You know, songs for movies like when we did Never Ending Story and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a big market. And it's also just marketing, you know, a different way to sell to make money on the movies. And it's like, that's like the, you know, like we just said, The Crow, that soundtrack with like the Stone Temple Pilot song on it. And like those were ones that you hear and you associate yeah, with the yeah. movie or whatever. And like they talked about, you know, the big song here was uh, that uh, It's Christmas. All over the world, which yeah. I think is kind of books end the movie. Yeah, book ends the, movie. the Sheena Easton one. Now, supposedly, I mean, that was written by Bill House and John Hobbs, but supposedly they had originally written it with 
with Freddie Mercury from Queen in mind. Yeah, and to, evi- to sing it. evidently that there is supposedly that they came in and he recorded a demo. There's a demo somewhere. But I guess at the time, uh, Queen was so hot, they were doing too much stuff, so they were already committed to um, Highlander. Highlander. They've done Flash, yeah, Gordon uh, movie and. They kind of had a weird renaissance in the 80s where they reinvented it. Because it was a very weird thing in the 70s. Queen, like, on their albums would be like, no synthesizers. Like, they were proud of it. And then the yeah. 80s rolled around and, like, like everybody, and, like, everybody, like, everything became, like, super synthesized. Yeah. But they did the Flash Gordon uh, score, which is a, <laughs> which we, that's a movie we'll get to at some yeah. point, I'm sure. Yeah. And Highlander's a movie that I happen to have a, a, a great fondness for. Um so uh, supposedly they were doing Highlander, and they were committed to do Highlander, and that's why Freddie never ended up actually recording like a, a finished version of that song. Yeah. For this movie. Then they bring it to Paul McCartney, who who was asked to compose some songs, and uh, he seemed to be into it for a while. But then I don't know why he didn't uh, end up doing it. He bowed out, and and then if you look at the time, that's like right around when he was doing his collaborations with like Michael Jackson for th- well, Thriller's like '83. Yeah, he does the girl is mine on that, I, and he was doing it. He had his, a big career in the '80s there, but then they do cite that he has a song called "Once Upon a Long Ago," and maybe that was composed because it kind of has a, a, a feel for this movie. So maybe mm-hmm. that was a song he had composed. He didn't get to put on this movie that he released, you know. But then we end up getting Sheena Easton comes in and she sings the song uh, that we're talking about here. The it's Christmas all over the world. Um, it's but not, not the greatest Christmas song ever. No, you know, they tried. It's dated. Um, but you know, yeah, it's dated. It's. I mean, I bet you, I bet you, the the more people, you know, the more you hear it, the more you get into it. You know, the more the more you used to it, <laughs> it becomes a tradition for you watching this yeah, movie. Yeah. You'll be into it. But they also had went through a whole range of uh, directors too. Like you said, they tried Robert Wise for a minute. Robert Robert Wise couldn't do that. I would have loved to see a you know, Robert Wise version of this. How that would have worked out? That would have been pretty cool. I can't think of what his his output is in the eighties. I mean, I know he did Star Trek: The Motion Picture like seventy nine. Yeah, and then um, I think he did some other like a, I feel like we're missing like a big elephant in the room there. Like he did something like, you know, like I don't know, like something like Superman a caliber or something <laughs> yeah, big. Yeah. Uh, then they even ask uh, the Lewis Gilbert. They ask, and then they they go to Guy Hamilton because Guy Hamilton was related to Bond and Guy Hamilton. Couldn't do it. What was Guy Hamilton? He was doing like Remo Williams at the time. Well, yeah. Well, Lewis <laughs> Gilbert, uh, he was a Bond guy. Yeah. He, he did Alfie, which isn't a Bond movie, obviously, with no. Michael Caine. But uh, he did You Only Live Twice, which is one of my favorite Bond movies. You love that Bond movie. <laughs> <laughs> this is where Sean Connery goes in young yellow face. Yeah, I know. In Japan, it's very... <laughs> he's like two feet taller than everybody else. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's perfectly <laughs> under- acceptable. <laughs> Yeah. But he also did uh, Spy Who Loved Me. And That's also Mo- the movie that Moon soured Raker. him to uh, Sean Connery to the Bond character because of all the press. He's like taking a shit in, in Tokyo and like the press are like leaning over the thing. And he's like, come on, man. And they're like, no, you're Bond. We need to. So he's like, fuck it. I'm not doing Bond anymore. Yeah. And he left and he came back. He's like, okay, I'll do one more. <laughs> but uh, that's one of my favorite Bond movies. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, Guy Hamilton, Goldfinger. Yeah. Diamonds Are Forever, Live and Let Die, Man with a Golden Gun, which is another favorite of mine. Staples. That's because like, that was those, those two. Uh, the, the Christopher two Lee one, Man with the Golden Gun, and the uh, Christopher Lee, and then the what would we just say? The only lived twice. Yeah. Those are two. That those are like my two favorite two when I was little. So yeah. mine were Goldfinger so and uh, To Live and Let Die. So that's why it's like you know those were staples. And then I got into Diamonds of Forever. But apparently, Guy Hamilton was very gung ho to do it. Like he really wanted to do it. Yeah, um, he was supposedly supposed to do the first Superman movie. 
uh, yeah. it was something to do with taxes and he yeah he's got some weird thing where he he he's he's like a he won't pay taxes or in England or something so he's only allowed to be legally be there thirty days a year so he comes in and says I will do this movie we're talking about here. Uh, but they either they have to shoot shoot it either in Los Angeles, Vancouver, or Rome, and they're like, okay, see you later, because <laughs> Pinewood Studios is, I think, uh, at the time was the biggest, you know, uh, place in the world where you can have like enclosed sets and stuff like that. I think there is now a place in Rome that's bigger because remember they shot that Stallone movie. Um, Daylight. Uh, Daylight there, you know they re- they recreated the Holland Tunnel or whatever well, Lincoln this Tunnel. This is uh, a little bit off the beaten track, but I remember there's a there's must be a soundstage in Australia that's huge because I remember when they when Stuart Gordon made Fortress with Christopher Lambert. Another, <laughs> no, it always comes back to Christopher another Lambert. one of my favorites, which movies. we just talked about Highlander. <laughs> Highlander, yeah. Uh, uh, evidently, that that was the biggest set ever built for a movie at the time that they made it. Yeah, some, it's always, some, it's always some, funny how they always are always. Some, comp- some, this some. is no, this is the biggest. No, this is the biggest set. But I'll tell you, this set here they made is impressive. Oh yeah, well it's, a, it's unbelievable. Faceted also, you know, considering that it, the entire thing was shot. I mean, Fortress is is an enormous, and you can see the enormity of that set in Fortress. But it's one location. Yeah. Whereas this is you have. Like the back lot, you know, have you have like the Brooklyn or like the street, oh, the street that the, the city the streets, yeah, yeah. and you have the house, the hilltop, and the and interiors have, of the house. Yeah, there's like a whole bunch of different. Shit I think the only thing they said, like, um, you know, there's the scenes where like uh, they go to like the factory near the end. That was shot like down the road from from Pinewood, yeah. but they were all affiliated to Pinewood. But just the the, the 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 Santa's workshop is just amazing. The craftsmanship, it's like all these things like the animatronics in this documentary they show them making the reindeer and it's like there's all this stuff they put so much detail in that you never get to see like you know they were talking about how they wanted to have the the the, the reindeer move a certain way in the puppetry and they tried to so they bring these reindeer in and evidently who do it's unheard of to have more than two reindeer together pulling a sleigh or pulling anything four is even crazy but they have six the trainers are like you're fucking crazy the reindeer won't get along they're like chickens where there's like there's one alpha male or whatever and then there's a pecking order after that so they had to really train these reindeer that they brought in from like norway they got the best from this breeder who was like ten thousand to work with first two up to four up to six and they had a b and c teams of these Reindeer, so for like four and a half months at Pinewood, they have these reindeers well, eight, training. They ultimately, needed eight, right? Yeah, they, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So they, uh, so and then they had like A, B, and C teams. Yeah, and yeah. I didn't know that reindeer they lose their antlers every year, and it takes three months for them to grow back to like full size. Hmm. So when you, so they'll drop them and they'll look fine, and then they'll eventually get them back, and then within three months they'll get them back to the, the gargantuan ones that we traditionally know. So. Um, they tried to do close-ups with these reindeer, and it just didn't look right to get the emotions they wanted. So that's when they said, well, you know, we'll use animatronics. And the director and everybody else were kind of big animal lovers. Sort of like, you know what, we don't want to overwork these things too much. We'll just do animatronic. They got some ex-Jim Henson guys to come in. And they did some really impressive reindeer, which I wonder if they reappropriated, I don't know, I'm just speculating, for like Ernest Saves Christmas, because a lot of the, that reindeer... Some of that, you know, yeah, yeah. Th- th- those kind of seemed a little animatronic, some of them there. Uh, a lot of similarities between that movie and this movie with like the <laughs> themes yeah. and stuff like that, you know, with Santa and the ba- bag and all that kind of thing. But th- that's interesting. I never knew like the reindeer were so, you know, finicky and all that and for the legend, you know. But uh, I guess it makes sense. I mean, I mean, they're wild animals. Yeah, yeah of course. I mean, yeah, you can. Like you dogs. Can, you, you can, can keep, dogs. You can keep them. 
you know, you can keep reindeer like in a, in like a you know fenced an area or yeah, whatever. Like, yeah, like a pen. But, but uh, they're not like tamed. You can't. They're not like horses yeah, or something. Yeah. They're not like really domesticated. Yeah. So that's what they're saying. More over two. It's crazy. That's why at the beginning, you know, there's only two. So they go after the they they kind of uh, they they say this is kind of like the country of origin is like Scandinavia, and 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 what ends up happening is uh, we have. To get back on track, Santa gets brought into this world, and then the last thing that happens before he kind of accepts when he see they open up like the toy tunnel and he sees all these freaking toys, is you have this ancient elf come out, and this ancient elf uh, is played by the great Burgess Meredith. Now, uh, before we get into this, I was thinking we always talk about John Carpenter being like the uh, patron saint of Santa movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was thinking Burgess Meredith is up there too because believe it or not, we've done State of Grace, which he's in. We've done uh-huh. Rocky, which he's in. We've done yeah. G.I. Joe, the movie that he's in. And now this is the fourth movie we've done. So he may be number two. I and can't. We, and we came very close to doing uh, Grumpy Old Men for Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, so so that's like. <laughs> which we might get, uh, we'll get around to it at some point. Yeah, so but. he could be number two up there past John Carpenter. I don't there's know who couple, else. There's some other people that, that we've done multiple, done multiple, but he's Carp- on four now. <laughs> yeah, he's on four. There was a period there where we thought Wilford Brimley was going to jump ahead of the pack. Yeah, because Wilford Brimley's in the thing. He's in um, <laughs> uh, Williams. Williams, and then I thought he was in a third. A hard, uh, hard target. He's in hard target. That's three. <laughs> but now look at Wil- uh, um, Wilford Brimley. Burgess Meredith is uh, yeah, leading the pack. Burgess Meredith. So, it was really unclear to me. Um, what his idea like what was. he was like what was he, he, he's like the elder they don't <coughs> they don't really say but he's like the he's like I the was oldest like, what, elf. is he like the old santa claus is he god yeah they don't he's, <laughs> he's supposedly like the wise he, yeah 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 he walks in and he's like his I massive long beard is being carried by other elves and, and then you don't realize until the end of the scene when he turns and he walks away there's a line of elves carrying his beard to indicate his age i would have said because yeah, they yeah. don't they don't shave their beards so not only is like 20 people on each side carrying this beard it's like it's like looped that they have like wrapped around like cord on his so it's, it's so cool they did they wrote this character with james cagney in mind and i'm a big <coughs> cagney guy i read his biography and around this time in his life cagney was very ill and he was he was uh old age hit him quickly in the 80s and he d- ended up dying in 1986 he did ragtime which i think is like 1980 or 1981 and that was like almost a stretch for him to do because they had to fly him to england and his health was really failing and he was living up in his farm in upstate New York. Um, so they offered him the role. It would have been so freaking amazing to have Cagney do this because it would have been like his swan song because he had played the elf or the fairy creature in, you know, uh, in A Minute Summer Night's Dream. Mm-hmm. He played in the 40s the yeah. really famous version. He did that. He played that character. So it would have been really cool for him, but he just he was too ill to do it, so he had to pass, and they thought about getting Fred Astaire, and for, yeah. for some reason Fred Astaire couldn't do it. So Dudley Moore's like, hey, my friend Burgess Meredith, let's have him do it. So they bring Burgess Meredith in. He only has like eight lines. He's only in one scene. Yeah, yeah. But it's cool. He comes in and like, you know, he's, he kind of, he's the, to use the word again, the MacGuffin to just explain away. Yeah. He's a our little exposition. Bit, a little he's bit like, exposition. you, you know, we need a Santa Claus. We need you. There's been a prophecy. You're yeah. fulfilling the prophecy. He's the one that describes how night is, that uh, endless night tells work is done. Yeah. And then he says, you know, for centuries we've been making these toys and we want you to be the one who's going to bring them to the, to the you know, we're going to supply you with, you know, the, the means. The, we have the stardust, the, you know, the fairy pixel stuff. We have the reindeer. All you need to do is say, sign on the fucking dotted line. You know, so yeah. I, I mean, I love Burgess Meredith, yeah. so it was great seeing. Yeah, him. and I completely forgot. I mean, <coughs> I I'd, I'd seen 
you know, my history with the movie was I saw it right when it came out. Like I said, I forgot about it for like 30 yeah. years. And then I got the Anchor Bay release when it came out, like I guess 2005 or six. And it has a really, sh- I love Anchor Bay, but the edition has a really shitty cover. Yeah, it's yeah. just like they drew, like it, 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 it just, the only way you know is it has a, starring Dudley Moore and John Lithgow <laughs> on it. And I wouldn't have known it was a Santa Claus the movie. Yeah, yeah. So I watched it when I got it then, and then it's been sitting on my shelf to rewatch. So when, when this came up with us and I saw, I was like, holy crap, it's freaking, you know, who, I could I completely forgot Burgess Meredith's yeah. in it. He, I mean, he's in... He's know, looking old, too. Which yeah. is, I mean, he was older at the time, but I just... But, I mean, I think of it, just thinking about, like, the potential of how many more Burgess Meredith appearances we'll make on this show. You never know. If you think about it. You know, if we do we do Batman 66, the movie. <laughs> yeah. You know, we Twilight do... Twilight Zone, the movie. We do Twilight does, Zone, the movie. The, he does the yeah, he's narration the, of yeah, that. Yeah, he's the Rod Serling. <laughs> uh, I don't know if we'd ever do the original Mice and Men. But uh, <laughs> what else is he? I just think there's a lot of potential. Twilight Zone episodes, if we do, yeah, you know. Yeah, we could always. Angry, uh, grumpy old men and grumpier old men. Uh, another Rocky. There's always potential for another Rocky. <laughs> you know, In fact, so we almost did Rocky Four <laughs> instead of this. So he may he may knock <laughs> John he's Carpenter not, he's out. He's not really the, in that one, but, but he comes back. Still, flashback. Still, you know, he, he, uh, I'm sure he got a paycheck for his likeness. So he could <laughs> knock. He could unseat John Carpenter <laughs> 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 as the patriarch of Saturday Movie Sleepover. So he has a scene, and then uh, Santa agrees, and then we have this cool montage where it's like the. Uh, the passage of centuries, and it's cool. You see the evolution of toys, and uh, well, they never get that. They never re- f- really get to like eighties level. Well, because yeah, <coughs> I mean, they, that's the gap. They, there's a leap, and once they hit the twentieth century, all of a sudden we're in like the dirty, gringy New York City eighties, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, but you but have the toys never get to like no eighties. Yeah. yeah. That we well, that, they also said that was a leap. Like, do we show them like tinkering with transistors? Because Dudley Moore is like an ideas man. And it's yeah. funny that he has all these ideas for like an alarm clock, you know, to heat the place with pipes. He has all this stuff that anything you can ever think of, Dudley Moore evidently as, as Patch. The elf has come up with. Um, he the, the original character's name was supposed to be Ollie, but he named it Patch because his son Patrick. That's the nickname for his son is Patch. So, um, you, you know, you get to see like the evolution of, of certain toys. You see, I love the idea of how they invented the naughty or nice list. You know, Mrs. Claus is like, no, there should be a naughty yeah, list, yeah. and she's like, yes, there, yes, you're right, there should be a fucking naughty oh, list. Oh, then only the only the good kids are gonna get. Yeah, and, and she's like, duh, you know, <laughs> you stupid asshole. <laughs> <laughs> she smacks him in the head, and the other is like, she's right, you know. He's like, you shut up. No, that didn't happen at all. You, you better, you know, I'm gonna check it twice. Yeah, <laughs> so I love it. It's like, oh, I was like, yeah, that's a good one there. Uh, good one, Santa. Santa. You know, and then you see them like making the, I, and then uh, in the documentary you see like. They talk about how, like, a lot of the elves, they only had, like, say, 10 or 12 principal elves. Everybody else were just, like, you know, uh, people who never acted before in their life. They, the people they got for principal elves were people who <coughs> had theater experience, uh, mime experience, that kind of a thing. Then everybody else, they had, like, uh, you know, when they had to fill those long shots, they had, like, you know, it was people who just, like, you know, they, they were, like, postmen or they yeah, were, like, yeah. civil servants. Went to the local pub. Yeah, they got, they got people that looked. <laughs> hey, you want to be in a yeah, movie today? You know, you want to you look, <laughs> you're the right size, come on, let's go. So they got these people in. So uh, it was a lot of, they, you know, uh, complication getting these things right were like the, the the nuance of them like having doing everything synchronized and you know getting everything to work that way yeah. or like I liked how they're using their beards to paint stuff and all that kind of a thing uh, that's all fun and they kind of seem like they're like the relatives of the seven dwarfs they kind of yeah, seem like yeah. they're that 
you could see them in like Europe digging in a mine in some diamond mine. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I could see that. You know, so then all of a sudden, like you're saying, so we see like the evolution. Then all of a sudden, bang! Forty minutes in, we hit the 20th century, and we're like in gritty 80s New York. And I love the. Uh, it's not really emphasized, but the theme that's kind of with me like now. The movie starts. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, th- this could have been a movie on its own, and that's yeah, where yeah. they say it, then it got kind of. Then it flowed perfectly until this point. And they had to actually cut some stuff out to, you know, to make it flow a little better. But they said that there was a lot of rewrites at this point uh, because of the tone between the uh, falling out patch has with Santa because yeah. they didn't want it to be angry. They wanted to have it be the scent, you know, why he leaves, if it's for anger or whatever. And they wanted to just make sure it's right there for the right reasons as one isn't showing up the other. It's like, well, no, you don't come back, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and then also, the, the, like we're saying, suddenly we're in the 20th century. They haven't really broached the subject to them with transistors or any kind of th- I mean, they say they have fire because there's a forge in the place, but yeah, they don't yeah. really. But they do have a TV at one point, but it's black and white to try to show, you know, that they're, they're a little back on the technology. Yeah, yeah. But, but I like. They're still just doing like little wood toys yeah of course yeah they're doing some you know and and uh i like the idea that like santa's almost becoming disheartened because that's how i am now and i wonder if that's like how the world is becoming with christmas and like oh well i mean the movie's certainly a comment on like the commercialism (laughs) and then and yeah it's it's like a it's it's very much like a fairy tale it's very dicky uh uh Dickian with with like you know the class system where you have the really yeah. the poor people versus the high you know it's very much like a Christmas Carol those kind of themes it's it's almost like the loss of innocence it's like innocence lost through technology and greed because then we get introduced to the John Lithgow character who is just such a dick beasy and he's the guy I think we always talk about with the with the big cigar <laughs> in the smoky boardroom you know what I mean and he's playing yeah, such yeah. a great part in it and you know we're not introduced him to like an hour into the movie and to me he's very much like you remember the old Saturday Night Live skit with Dan Aykroyd as a toy manufacturer yeah, and yeah. she goes on like the Candace Bergen watchdog show and he's like yeah come on I mean it's a bag of glass kids want a bag of glass that's what they want you know like oh you know so Barbie's gonna get cut a couple times you know and he's he's very much like the yeah yeah I mean toy. just <laughs> the, 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 we're introduced to him he's on like trial or something. <laughs> well he's in front of like a Senate committee they're like yeah. they're showing how how like uh you know his his toys are f- terrible and like he's there and he's st- the uh, charges are like he has a teddy bear that's made out of sawdust nails and screws yeah yeah, yeah they they, t- they take open the thing and it's all in there it's like oh i didn't know or, or <laughs> they, they have a cigarette and it goes near the doll and it lights up like it's a tinderbox yeah, yeah, like, i felt bad for the guy that had to do that in the movie because he has to like pick it up and it's <laughs> all <laughs> like on fire and then, what's probably. he say he's like that's why i say people shouldn't smoke indoors <laughs> i know that you know but again that's all shot in pinewood they just got uh american actors and he's really like a dick and he's kind of the kind of guy that like you know he never believed in santa claus so you have this split where he's like representing like you're saying the the commercialization yeah. of it and that was one of i guess the criticisms of the movie that very early on in the process of the movie they had sponsors jump on board f- one because they needed the, the the marketing two because children love mcdonald's and they love coke yeah. and uh, so they wanted so that was another th- gripe is like the, the you know you're you're, yeah, you're yeah. almost lambasting commercial commercialization but you know you're you're doing it with mcdonald's and coke in the in the and even paps blue ribbon a little later yeah, on yeah. too in the movie uh john lithgow uh, tell I mean, tell people your John Lithgow story, which is <laughs> I, I I put it in my mouth. Tell to have Blake. I mean, it's it's stupid, but it's funny. It, it's it's not <laughs> even much of a story. It's just it's a little thing. I'll get to it. it. It's very short. But John Lithgow, at this point in his career, is playing like a lot of over the top. I mean, this is like uh, around the time of 
terms of like endearment. But Buckaroo, Buckaroo yeah. Banzai's around this time. Yeah, yeah. He's really kind of wacky and over the top. There's something else that I just was I just had on the tip of my tongue that, um, which is another like crazy John Lithgow over the top performance. But then you know we did uh, so Harry and Henderson. We did Harry and Hendersons, which is you know kind of. Normalizing, yeah, yeah, normalizing. Like, My parents at the time saw him at Long Wharf Theater in New Haven doing uh, an adaptation of uh, Requiem of a Heavyweight. He's in it playing the Anthony Quinn boxer role, and huh. it was... Um, that, was that must have been interesting. Because he's really a great actor. Yeah, they said it's phenomenal. I remember them talking about uh, Richard Dreyfus plays the Jackie Gleason trainer role. Huh. And it's one of these things where, you know, we've talked about this on the cast before, where I I always try to find this weird thing to say to famous people when I meet them. Yeah, yeah. So Richard Dreyfus was c- coming around uh, promoting the Enron movie. He played uh, Bernie... Bernie... Uh, 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 what the hell? Madoff. Thank you. I was going to say Bernie Sanders. <laughs> uh, Bernie, Bernie Madoff. Bernie Sanders. Yeah, uh, so, yeah Sanders. Bernie, Bernie. So, <laughs> so for three days, everybody been saying he's around the building promoting this movie, and everyone's telling him, I loved you in Jaws. I loved you in yeah, Close Encounters yeah. of the Third time, Kind. So I went up to him, and I said, I loved you in Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, because he's in the movie as yeah. the actor. He goes, you know what? Once every 10 years, I get a compliment like that. And I and we just start talking about you know working with Tom Stoppard and this stuff and all this kind of thing and his perf- and then I said and am I wrong or did you play in Requiem for Heavyweight with John Lithgow and he's like yes I did he's like and he says another thing he's because I was like because my parents saw it I remember them telling me they loved it and he said that was the first time he said as an actor I was always conscious of my weight at that time and that was the first time where I a, a role I allowed myself to accentuate my weight at the time because I wanted to play an overweight guy yeah, yeah but they said it was great John Lithgow was great and that that I would I would have loved to see a production like his that. casting written by it, Rod Serling his casting and Rosencrantz you don't understand that is so odd. It's very odd casting, yeah. but it works. But he's just you wouldn't have, it wouldn't you wouldn't have thought he would have been you know the person we are actors. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's very strange you casting. Uh, but my John Lithgow story is uh, for some reason I can't remember the other movie I was thinking of where he's really John Lithgow's completely was like completely over the top around that time. But anyway, so John Lithgow, I think I was visiting an old teacher of ours, Bob, when he still lived on the Upper West Side, oh, of Bob Siegel, and. Uh, this is years ago then. Yeah, this is yeah. like 2001. He was two. doing a play here. That's why he was. He was doing a play on Broadway. Not Bob. John Lithgow was. <laughs> Bob was. <laughs> and uh, I can't imagine what other reason I was on the Upper West Side for. Um, but uh, that's why I think it must, I must have been coming from Bob's house. But I'm walking uh, Upper West Side, walking west towards Broadway. Yeah. And somehow I got like in... Uh, sync with walking with somebody where we're walking directly next to each other. Hitting the lights at the same time. Yeah, hitting the lights, but we're like in step. He's in blowout. Uh, yeah, but that was... Uh, he's in Twilight Zone, the movie. Twi- that's the one where he, yeah. goes, he goes fucking ape shit on yeah, the he's in the jo- Is it the Joe Dante? No, he's not the Joe Dante version. He's Who? in the George Miller one. George Miller, yes, yes, that's it. With the gremlin on the Yeah, plane. yeah, great fucking... Yeah, where oh, he's screaming, that's that. what I mean. Like, he's always yeah. so over, like, crazy over the top around that time. In 2010 as well, yeah, yeah around that time, the, the year we make contact. So I'm walking down the... Sh- I'm walking on the side. I'm walking down uh, the street, and I'm walking next to this guy. And, you know, it's the kind of thing where it's like I don't want to just look over... Because yeah. it would be weird. Because there's nobody else on the street. Yeah, it's like you're checking the guy out. <laughs> <laughs> but for some reason, we're completely in step. We hit the light. We just cross the street together. So for like three blocks, we're walking completely in, s- in step. Finally, we get to a block where the lights, the right. light changes, and we have to stop. Yeah. So I, uh, we stop, and I finally, 
you know, take an opportunity where I'm going to pretend like I look, I'm looking down the street or whatever, <laughs> for traffic or whatever. So I look over and it was John Lithgow. So I walked for like four blocks straight. Practically, I could have like put my hand out, like held hands. <laughs> Did he make eye contact with you? Did you like do the nod? <laughs> I mean, I can't remember. I didn't say anything to him. I, I, uh, I see people all the all the time, but I never say anything to anybody. Usually, if I make eye contact, we'll do a nod. Like I, Jillian Anderson, that was the famous thing where we we gave, we gave each other a nod by Midtown Comics. That's um, great. You're like, hey. That was, uh, you were with me. But no, you, that but, was Juliana Moore. Oh, yeah, Juliana Moore. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Juliana Moore. Yeah. Yeah. But. Uh, you like, you know, because her and I, I went to throw something away and we threw something away at the same time, but I was looking down and as I walked away from the trash bin, you're like, did you see who that was? It was, uh, I think it was like you were. Everything was you having trouble with your phone or your parents' phone or something? No, well, or you lost that something? was the day. Well, and we sat you, down, I lost you, the phone. You were sitting there, and I went to go, I put like a piece of gum in, and I went to throw something in the trash can. I think you were sitting on the steps. I walked over the trash can, and she threw like a newspaper. And I just kind of followed her hand up to her face, and it was her. And we just kind of like looked at each other, <laughs> and like I nodded at her, and she kind of smiled, and she walked away. I was like, Hey, you know who that was? And you're like, I was like, Where are you? Like that one? I was like, I don't see her. And yeah, we were sitting there, and then when I got up, I left the phone there. Yeah, and we got about two blocks. And and then I ran back. The phone wasn't there. But, uh, yeah. I never. But there, I often regret not saying anything to anybody. I, I mean, just the Lance what, Guest story I've, I've told. That yeah. was one on the uh, Last Starfighters uh, <laughs> podcast or Halloween people. too. I can't remember which. I think it was the which Last Starfighter one, one. Told it on, but uh, yeah, John Lithgow. I what? always try to if if you can if it's if it's if it's not right then you don't. I don't like to be that guy. But like most recently, a couple weeks ago, Robert Wagner was in my building, and I'm you know. Completely unexpected. Yeah. So You're like, I'm, hey, I'm, yeah, you I'm killed Natalie Wood, right? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to yeah, yeah, yeah. tell him that joke. Hey, what kind of wood floats? So that's terrible. I'm so sorry. But I'm walking down the hallway, and he's coming this way with a bunch of people. You know, like they probably they yeah, gave him yeah. a pass into the building. I look up, and I'm like, I know that guy. But you know, he's older now. He's probably in his close to eighty. Oh, gotta be. You know, yeah. and he also has no makeup on. So a lot of these people don't look the best without makeup. So he had like a, he, you know, what he reminded me of. He looked like like my like one of my friend Martin McHugh's relatives at the pub. Yeah. He had like a red face, looked like he'd been drinking. You know, he's a heavier guy. He's close to eighty. So I look at him. He looks up at me and he he recognizes that I recognize him. So he smiles. I go, "How are you, sir?" He goes, "Good. How about you?" I go, "Great." I go, "Big fan of yours, sir." He goes, "Thank you for that." And that was it. <laughs> that was the end of the conversation. Yeah, yeah. You know. But then I've heard he's not the sharpest tool in the shed because later that day I was talking to somebody and they're like, "Well, you know, there's kind of actors who are geniuses, then there's actors who can get just get by." And some people say he's like that. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I never say anything to anybody. Yeah, you should try it next time. I, see what happens. I always regret, like Ethan Embry. I remember. I wish I said something to Ethan. Some there's some guys I wish I said yeah, something so to. Yeah, who's the biggest Ethan Embry? Yeah, yeah. How many times does somebody be like, Ethan Emery, big fan, man. I loved you in uh, Dragnet, and I loved you in Dutch. Dutch. And the first episode of... Um, Can't uh, hardly wait. What's the name of that movie, that show? The, the, the horror show we like. Oh, uh, Masters of Horror. Yeah, of Horror. Great oh. episode. Of All that weight you put on for that role. Vacancy. Yeah, and those commercials. No vacancy, whatever that movie was. Vacancy. Vacancy. Which I like a lot. Uh, but we're, we're completely off track. Yeah, so, yeah, so, um... Like John Lithgow. John Lithgow. So then, you know, you I hear he's a good John Lithgow. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's uh, uh, getting used to him. Yeah, he's completely sleazy as BZ, and uh, at this time there's a th- th- there's also something going on at the North Pole, which is uh, interesting, where uh, everyone's realizing that you know nowadays with with the Eli Whitney Henry Ford assembly line, which they say Patch kind of almost invents, like you know Patch is like we should be upping our output, yeah, yeah. and there's a contest, and so Santa's like, listen, you two, you try to, you, I forget what the other guy's name is, like uh, like. 
Gomer or whatever the other guy's <laughs> name is. Hey, Gomer, you uh, <laughs> Gomer, um, um, and it's um, uh, he says, okay, let's say you know, let's let's see how many you could put out. So Patch makes this big machine. And he's able to, at the end, uh, you know, he's able to put quali- quantity out. Yeah, yeah. But then you, you don't realize they don't have a quality control expert. So they have well, all these... Pre- <laughs> well, during the production. We, we see. The audience yeah, sees Yeah, yeah. But it's like, I don't even know how they're even halfway getting, together. How they're getting out there. Yeah. And then there's... <laughs> like how, says, they, how they even... In, how they even at all do? How the wheel's even on there even a little bit? Yeah. And then say... So no screws getting in there. Someone's even saying, like, you know, you're... Uh, you know, you're going too fast. He's like, who cares? You know, and then so we have this scene, which it's funny because, uh, you know, I talk to people and this is something that I guess really upset children back then. And this is something I remember. One of the scenes I remember from the movie is the scene where you see the kids. They get so Patch wins. He becomes head elf. They take his toys that he made, which are significantly more. And Santa delivers them that Christmas, yeah, yeah. Christmas of 85 or 84. It is, you know, and uh the next day, Christmas Day, the kids are playing with the... T- and they, like you said, they're very antiquated toys. It's still just yeah, like yeah. a, you know, like a fucking tr- little, you know, uh, whatever you call it. Like yeah, a, like a push... A push thing, thing or like yeah. or like a just a wheelbarrow, you know, <laughs> yeah, or like a, a, wagon. You know, a wagon, you know. And everything starts breaking. And every, and, and I talked to people, and like, that really upset them. That, like, the kids are getting hurt. And they're not really getting hurt that bad. No, it's no. like, you know, but it was like really like such a searing image. <laughs> I love that it's all like one shot. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's like it's m- multiple shots, but it's all like one location. Yeah, well, it's funny because there, you see this. Um, the fuck was it? It was a school bus comes barreling around this corner, and and the kid is his his wagon. He loses the handle, and the wagon goes a little bit, and this bus just comes right tears the kid, the <laughs> drives right over the wagon, right almost hits the kid. Doesn't even stop, and it's like Jesus. The eighties was real tough for kids. <laughs> so. Come to find out, you have all these returns, and it's the first time in Santa's history that they're getting returns because yeah, the shit yeah. was poorly made. And Santa's like, "What the fuck?" And then there's this. This is where we get to where the plot was weird. They didn't know how to do it, so that's an excuse for uh, Patch knows. He's like, "I, yeah. I, I, I don't. Red's not my color anyway." So he kind of resigns. Yeah, yeah. Patch leaves so that Santa doesn't have to tell yeah. him he's not as an assistant anymore. So he leaves, and he actually leaves, and then when he, he like he you know he gets he walks out of the thing, and then it's almost like. He's semi-losing his innocence because when he turns back, evidently the, the elves are only supposed to be seen by children. That's why they have this connection with children because of the, the innocence. So uh, that's how you're able to see their little, you know, uh, fortress of solitude out there. Yeah, you know, yeah. So Patch kind of loses sight of that, and that's why it disappears for him. So he, he, en- he ends up in New York. And I don't know if you've no- noticed this, but it's, it's, I've noticed when I did research, it's, it's noted, but I picked up on it. So Patch is standing in New York, and he's seeing, like, all, you know, they're recalling all of BZ's toys. They're taking it out of the window. But he's like, wow, these toys are flying off the shelves. i got to go talk to this guy because he's the guy I'll go make toys for. Over the shoulder, across the street from, from uh, Dudley Moore, is the A-Team van parked there. <laughs> I didn't even know. And there's no reason for it to be there. It's, it is the painted perfect same year model of the A-Team van. And that must mean that the A-Team van was in Pinewood Studios at the time. And I don't know why. You know, it's not like it, they didn't shoot it on location in a street and some dude had the A-Team van. Like, you, know, <laughs> you know what I mean? It just got in the shot. That was yeah, purposely yeah. put there as an Easter egg. But, yeah, so I, I noticed the A-Team vans. I'm like, holy crap. So um, to further this along, Patch goes to see Joe. Uh, Joe Blow. Joe Blow, John Lifkow, BZ. He's like, I can do things for you because he stole. I guess he walked out with just a handful of the stardust or the the stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Patch. Patches. He, he means well. That's, he, that's the innocence of it all. He means so much. You know, he he means well. Um, God damn you, Patch. Yeah, damn you all to hell, Patch. You know. Uh, yada yada yada. He makes yeah. a deal with 
thing. He wants to give the toys away for free. And then full free. <laughs> yeah, that's a full free. And it's it's all. And he turns red. And they said they actually optically. He was able to turn red yeah. a little bit, but they actually optically did it for. I him. thought maybe they did it with lights. No, I think they optically did. You know that. So maybe that was a little like uh, yeah, yeah. double or triple exposure. Um, and then we also have the subplot of Santa meets the the the, the tramp, and it's almost it's very like. The tramp from Dick Tracy or Joe, the, or the kid. Yeah, yeah, kid. You know, and then I also see similarities with the color scheme of Dick Tracy. But it's funny that he meets the kid. The kid's like uh, doesn't believe it's Santa because yeah, it's well, he sees like the some, wino. Yeah, yeah, he seems like the the Santa Claus collecting money outside and like, taking takes, the money, takes some of the money, and takes a swig. So, so when he sees Santa, he's like, "Fuck you, Santa! Yeah, fuck you, and you go, 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 <laughs> get the jet piece of shit. shit. Yeah, get out of here, you fucking cunt!" <laughs> Santa's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> whoa easy kid. <laughs> whoa, what's your name, little boy?" He's like, "You never wrote to me." He's like, "No, I never believed in you." So he takes him on the journey, and that's where we have this great sequence where he's in the sleigh and they're doing yeah, all yeah. this impressive. Yeah, it's a, there's you know, this whole subplot was that kind of like it's easy to forget about. I mean, we never forget about because we just fucking watch the movie. Yeah, but yeah, it's easy to lose track of the subplot of the the the. the Kid, uh, the homeless kid Joe, and then the little girl that lives in the house. Yeah, and how they have a bit of a connection. And so yeah, they have a little romance going on through the window, and then they she all leaves them some food. And I'm like, I could go for a Coca Cola right now. Yeah. Well, it's, it's just it's interesting to note that like that that view of Santa that we know of, with like the like the quintessential Santa, is kind of a an invention of Coca Cola yeah. yeah. <laughs> for advertising. And they also talk about how like um, you know. They didn't use. They couldn't. They didn't and couldn't use Rudolph because Rudolph is copyrighted. Yeah. So there was there was never any discussion to use Rudolph in there because I don't know if people know that Rudolph was an invention of like uh, some marketer for a department store like in like the maybe the late 30s or yeah, late yeah. 20s. So that's why they never used Rudolph uh, as well as um, you know had him in it. But all this comes down to marketing. You're saying Coca Cola same time like pre war maybe. Uh, 30s or 40s, they you yeah, have like this, that view of the Norman, the, red suit. the Norman Rockwell-esque Santa that we know and love was a was a great marketing campaign for Coca-Cola, and it's sold foul even to this day at Christmas time. You get either the damn fucking polar bears on there, <laughs> or you get those great retro Norman Rockwell-esque yeah. pictures of Santa, like you know. But uh, that was a big invention of the Coca-Cola, and that's where we see you know the kids hungry you establish you see him looking into McDonald's and everyone's inside the McDonald's with the you know and, and it was such a throwback to like uh. 80s McDonald's like the foam I was oh, just talking know, to somebody yeah. about it like the Big Mac coming in the foam container you yeah, know yeah. and all that kind of shit God I, I don't know if you've ever said this on the podcast but I know we've probably talked about it outside like outside the podcast <laughs> I'll kill for a Big Mac well I just like I wonder how I would love to taste like 80s, what McDonald's 70s. tasted but like yeah. in the seventies and eighties because that was when everything was like fried in like lard. Yeah, it was <laughs> the all, fries were an animal. Yeah, it was fat. so bad for you, but it was so good. <laughs> like I remember back in the day, you like, and I were McDonald's fanatics. You remember that? Like I would, you and I would make trips. Like uh, I used to. That was a thing for me. I get my license, and I, I at the time I didn't really drink in high school or not even really college so much. Yeah. So I, I would just grab the car and I would go drive to my local McDonald's, get like a number two with hamburgers and just sit and eat it and then go home. Yeah, and yeah. then you and I ended up starting doing that. When we got into college together, we'd go to like the 24-hour McDonald's and we'd drive out there and we'd just, you know, we'd, we'd binge on. But that was when I noticed when we were in college that McDonald's started to taste different. Yeah, well, they started to change stuff. You know, and know, then it was the like... The bread changed for the burgers because I worked at McDonald's for a summer and even that summer stuff changed you did? drastically. You did? I don't remember that. Not in college, but like when I, I know, was in yeah, high yeah. school. Pre or post movie theater? Pre. I was like ninth grade. Oh, okay. First job? It was, uh, I mean, I taught hockey, but that was like my first yeah, yeah, like yeah, retail yeah. type, yeah. you know, like regular job, sure. Yeah. 
Uh, I worked there in the summer, and, and even just that one summer, from the beginning of the summer to the end of the summer, stuff changed. Oh, really? The pancakes were, when I started, pancakes were made to order. They changed the recipe so that we could make them and then refrigerate them and heat them up by the end of the summer. Used to toast all the buns. By the end of the summer, we didn't, oh, the only buns we toasted were the Big Mac buns. What year is this? It was freshman year? So that's what, 93? 94? That's a that's that's a quintessential year for McDonald's. <laughs> if you're telling me that's that's when all the stuff started to go down. I'm, I'm just saying, like, I don't know how yeah. much dra- how drastically everything changed. But you're every it. other every other year. I'm just saying, just for like the four three months that I worked at McDonald's, it was going down. Stuff, stuff changed so drastically. There was definitely for me, like you know, high school into college, I was a McDonald's fanatic. And that's when you were able to eat that shit as much as possible, not gain any weight oh, or, you yeah, know. Yeah. But I could tell, like, that's after college, I started getting, like, McDonald's hangovers. Yeah. Or, you know, you're like, you feel so terrible after eating it, you know. But seeing this McDonald's in this movie remembered, like, you remember how cool, like, the the uh, Happy Meals were? And you'd get, like, the toys. Like, they used to give out, like, either Matchbox or Hot Wheels. Like, you get a die-cast yeah, real yeah. car. You know, nowadays, you're lucky. It's like a piece of plastic or yeah, some yeah. kind of really shitty, you know, they're trying to make it, like... Oh, it's a, you know... I remember when they had, like, one year they had, like, Transformers that were McDonald's things? Yeah. Like a hamburger. Mm. <laughs> that would turn oh, into yeah, a or robot. fries or, you know... <laughs> like an order of fries yeah. that turned into a robot. Oh, they had those fry guys. Remember they had, like, the, the puppets that were, like, the, the food? Yeah, yeah. And you then know? the little, real, the McNugget pu- puppets, Yeah, too. and those were... Those became, like, a... Um, an ad thing for a while, those little McNuggets, because I remember, like, uh, Ronald Reagan, um, <laughs> um, Ronald McDonald would talk to them, and th- those yeah, became yeah. quite a while, the Nuggets, the phase, and then it just, it's so, and then, like, you think about, like, you know, the the, the, the properties that wouldn't advertise, like, you know, Batman, you get a little Batmobile or yeah, whatever, yeah. but nowadays... Fraggle Rock, I remember when your yeah. Fraggle Rock had, like, little... In you like know, a little rat riding around a little radish. And like, yeah, <laughs> and, and it's like, it was cool, because, like, the the the... the, the uh, what do you call the, the the Happy Meals? Those things were like there was like games on the side. You could like there was like pictures. There was like a crossword puzzle, like a word search, yeah, yeah. or there was like jokes. You know, or back in the day, remember? I mean, I guess maybe if you got the high chair, but even if you didn't have the high chair, sometimes you get like that little plastic puppet. Yeah. Of like grimace or yeah. the hamburger, it was just like a glove, yeah, <laughs> like a mitten. <laughs> I mean, there's like a little like you know because when we were growing plastic up, plastic bag with grimace on it, you'd be like a little puppet you could play with. Like when we were growing up, they were like zo- they were phasing out like the uh, Big Mac Keystone Cop, the pirate guy, and I feel like there was somebody else that they zoned out. But then for us, it was like the Hamburglar and Grimace. Yeah, yeah. And then even by then, like you know, when we were getting into high school, I felt like Grimace was falling by the wayside. So was the Hamburglar. And just it was just Ronald McDonald. They're like, I'm still here, <laughs> you know. But then I, you know, now I don't even know if they even use Ronald McDonald anymore. I, they must. I don't know if they use them in commercials. You know, though. I don't know. It's anyway. like it's like KFC. So McDon- you know? he, the yeah. kid is hungry. He's uh, looking at a McDonald's. He's got his face up to a McDonald's. And all the people inside are eating. The happy stuff. people eating their happy you know? meals. And he, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he, and he, and he ends up going on this this great uh, trip on Christmas Eve with Santa. Uh, and we talked about David Lane, who did the special effects flying work did all this sequences uh, and he was second unit director and it's brilliant it's beautiful it's so much of the supergirl superman 80s that look of the buildings and the the how they were able to um like um expose everything properly so you can see stuff at night and it i mean i'm sure today if somebody who has no frame of reference to back then watched it they would say how 
bad it looks. I don't know. I think it looks great. I th- yeah, I think it all everything in this movie I think looks great. The reindeer. I, mean, I love how they gave the reindeer their own personalities. They're all quirky. And you have one of them. I forget who it was. He's got like a comp vertigo, <laughs> and he tries to like cover his eye with his with his with his um ear. with his ear or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's just so cute. I mean, it just it's getting to the point where I'm gonna have to. Say like we said uh, last week or two weeks ago with Star Wars, it's like I, I loved this. It's just it was it just hit me the yeah, right way. Yeah, it's you know it's such a touching. And then but then it it didn't it was completely bombed at the mar- at the at the box office, which we can get to in a couple minutes. But it's just it's so sad. It's like I don't know what you want. It's like a fairy tale. It's like I mean, and, and it it's hard because it rides that line of eighties. I don't think a movie like this could get made nowadays because of how how they did it. It'd be a little more evil or a little more, you know. The only good thing that the, the critics said about it was John Lithgow's performance. But then they say he wasn't big enough in the movie or whatever. Or he didn't have yeah, this, yeah. You know. So it becomes this thing where Patch goes to, work, like you said, works for John Lithgow. He, they, they give out all these free stuff. Yeah, what are they? What are they? They're basically like lollipops. lollipops yeah. that have the uh, have the magic have the dust. Has the angel dust? <laughs> As the angel dust, and the kids start eating the angel dust, they start floating, and then there's like a, there's, it's a little <laughs> they montage. Just, they just think they can. Yeah, like, oh, it's like killing kids. They kill it's people. Like a lethal weapon with a gun jumps off. The yeah, 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 I yeah. can fly. So to rock around the clock, or not rock around the clock. So it's uh, the other song, Jingle Bell Rock, uh, and. Uh, yeah, you know, and, and then we the big re- reveal is that I love that the, there's a little bit in there where she the the, the person the, the the whoever her her uh, nanny is who's looking at the girl she's like I gotta go watch my fairy tale theater yeah, or not my fairy tale theater my masterpiece theater and at the time that was PBS Vincent Price was hosting masterpiece theater at the time so I wonder if that's a nod because it's an all English production like if you know masterpiece theater was all English stuff and the big reveal is that her. Uncle or her stepdad is Don John Lifgow. It's like her uncle. Yeah, but we never know. She doesn't have parents. Yeah, but that also goes back to the kind of fairy tale. There's always one, you know, parents are not in the picture, or, yeah. you know, like Hansel and Gretel. We don't, it's very, you know, and that's where you learn the, the morality tale or whatever there. So uh, we realize that he's the, uh, and this is when things start speeding up. They're like, we got to wrap this up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, now that we've got a plot. And we, you know, we talked about a couple weeks ago was the idea of the. Was it in Star Wars? We talk about things turning into to cartoon, and that that's the, another way they explain the way how. Santa oh yeah, gets the we're talking about the Superman. Yeah, and that, and they see that with the letters. The letters turn into cartoon when they fly up the chimney. You know, there's a lot yeah, of things yeah. of how he gets up the chimney, and they. I even like how they 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 read him the Clement Moore. Um, you know, it was the night before Christmas, yeah, and he gets wait, mad. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> they call me fat. You know, <laughs> fuck him. You know, he's getting cold. <laughs> so uh, we're racing through this. Um, well, because you know what, it's like obviously there's the, uh, the a plot happens, you know, like yeah. like halfway through the movie, but uh, like event wise, not a whole lot happens. I mean, you have he makes the, the treat, he makes the treat that has things, and it's kind of a big success. They give it out for free. Yeah. John Lithgow's uh, plan is like, okay, we'll give it out for free, but that because they'll know want more. It's yeah. like we'll give him a taste. You know, <laughs> to play the what if game there with him, they wanted like a guy comparable to like Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor, the over top yeah, guy yeah. from Superman. So they tried. They asked uh, Harrison Ford. He declined. They asked Dustin Hoffman. They asked Burt Reynolds. They even asked Johnny Carson, and uh, they all declined. And they finally went with Lifgow. And I, I never was a fan of Thirty Rock from the Sun, but they yeah, say yeah, that Third uh, Rock from the Sun, the yeah. Thirty Rock, Third Rock from the Sun. But they say that this character is kind of like goes to be that kind of character. I guess the over the top kind of performance that he has. Probably, I can see in terms of the kind of performance, but. I mean, they're very. The oh, actual yeah, characters yeah, yeah. are completely different, but yeah, like he, he kind of got a niche of. Effort. He got like kind of typecasted as this over the top thing. That's why I was pointing out things like, 
Buck Ruban's yeah. eye. And he's being really like, wacky. Him, like, yelling. Yeah. <laughs> And that's his whole performance. He's very much like diaphragmatically yelling, like yeah. what? You know, like him, yeah, you know, yeah. free in this but role. He's, but he, he's so good that he doesn't have. You know, it's just, it's. I think a lot of if people our age don't look back at him, on him and think of him as you know uh, uh, from Harry and the Hendersons, uh, yeah. as George Henderson, they probably think of him in some like bizarre, like over the top performance because he was cast in that kind of part so many times. But he's great in like the De Palma movies. Um, oh, Raising Cain. Yeah, Raising Cain. Yeah, Blowout. Yeah, and, and stuff like that. And uh, this is the another one that I couldn't think of when I was talking with Mike. The uh, Obsession. Oh, he's yeah. great in Obsession. Um, so he's a really talented actor. It's so weird that he got kind of typecasted as like this insanely like over the top yeah. yelling all the time. But he's able to. He's able to. to, to oh, he to does do it great. Yeah, he's but, able to uh, hit that. It's, just, um, it's so funny to me because he's he's so much better than that. Also, yeah. But he just that's a niche that he kind of found and was stuck in for a while. Uh, so you, you know, and then it then it ends up wrapping up, and and you know, luckily it it all kind of wraps up very quickly, like because they <laughs> yeah. Well, BZ wants him to make uh, another version of the thing, step so they, it up a little bit. Yeah, so they decide to make candy canes with even more of the angel dust, and yeah. the. And the <laughs> Lo and behold, we find out that <laughs> it becomes very dangerous. If you get too close to the heat, they explode, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Dudley Moore, he's like, this is great. You know, now that well, he makes success. a car, he makes that car, which is cool. So that he can deliver the, yeah, the lollipops. To rival Santa. And then there's a year where they're both, they, he delivers them the same year as Santa. And uh, I find that bad, like, with the getting back to the tramp. Like, Santa's like, I'll meet you here next year. Yeah. And the next year he meets him. It's like, Jesus, th- that poor kid went through a complete <laughs> New York City year, you know, hot and all that. And he's still alive and he's still a tramp. He hasn't got any better. Yeah, yeah. And they also said, see, that's the thing where they they couldn't go too much. The director says sometimes the cure is worse than the disease. Or if you start explaining, you open that rabbit hole of explaining his dilemma, his situation, it becomes too, it's no longer yeah, a fair yeah. tale. It gets too set in reality yeah. where they wanted to keep it a semblance of a fairy tale you know well, after you know right before when patch leaves because his toys are are breaking um they have like the montage of the toys breaking but then you have like the little montage of the little girl who's in the movie and joe like defending santa to their friends yeah because like, like, santa like, fucking sucks <laughs> yeah. my parents don't believe me they bought me barbies and gem and santa takes it up the ass <laughs> then she like smacks a girl See, like, really hard yeah it's great <laughs> You know, I think the, the two actors who I've never seen before or after, they said they just had, like, theater experience. I thought they are great in it, too, these the two kids. kids. Yeah. Uh, Christian, Christian Patrick and Carrie Kai yeah, Haim or Haim. I, I thought they were both very good. And, again, it's very impressive that all this New York City stuff was all on a soundstage, you know? Yeah, well, it, yeah, it is. I mean, it's, I mean, I'm wondering. It's not surprising, but, like, I would have thought they would have came yeah, and yeah. shot on a, you know. Well, it's amazing. When I went to L.A. Or in the spring and I and I went to take tours of all the studios to see, like, the backlot stuff, it's really cool. Just kind Unbelievable. Of see. And now, because I've been to, like, almost all the backlots, every time I watch a commercial, I'll be like, oh, that's the, Par- that's that's the, the Paramount one. That's the Paramount yeah, one. Yeah. That's the Warner Brothers one. Another, I think we do need to mention that uh, the guy that plays uh, BZ's head of research and development, oh, Dr. Uh, Eric Towser. Kramer, right? Jeffrey Kramer? Jeffrey Kramer. Yeah. Um, I love how they're toasting. <laughs> Did you see when they're toasting brandy and he just pours <laughs> Pabst Blue Ribbon into the brandy glasses? <laughs> and they're drinking Pabst out of brandy glass sniffers. Yeah, it's such a weird thing. It's like, because they're like, they're so, they probably have no 
you know, taste their, you know, <laughs> yeah. they're just fucking assholes. Yeah, yeah. So they don't it's know a, it's they're a not we, It's a great little like moment. If you don't pick up on it. Yeah, because it's just like it's not said. You just yeah. have to watch. It's right when they're scheming that this is what we're gonna do and we're gonna. Who cares about the fucking kids? Yeah, yeah. The 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 candy kids are gonna explode. So he goes and he tells Kramer tells him like we can't do this. He's like, well, it's not our fault. The kids. Yeah, you're going soft on me. Yeah, you know, it's not our fault. They're gonna have radiators in their house. And they all like, yeah, you're right. And then they they toast with their things. But Jeffrey Kramer plays. The actor, the Jeffrey Plame, who plays uh, the this character in the movie, he plays Deputy Hendricks from Jaws. So, oh. he, so he's uh, yeah, he's, he's Roy Scheider's deputy, yeah, left hand man, and he's also man, <laughs> Graham, the medical examiner from Halloween Two, who's oh. the guy that's like they pulled out of the curtain and Ben Tramer is like burnt to a curse. Oh, like, well, the, yeah, but yeah. the dental the, record, the date. So. Uh, Aside from this movie, Jeffrey Kramer stars in two of my favorite movies of all time, Jaws and Halloween. So you better put too. this on your list of favorite movies. <laughs> have you seen what else he's in? Does he have an ex- extensive career? Uh, a lot of TV. And, is and he in Jaws 2 then? Yeah, I think he might be in so Jaws So maybe too. that's how he met this director. He's like, oh, I have a perfect... Because they, they had to fly them all over to England, so maybe he had him in mind. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. like, I know John Lithgow, you know, they'd seen him, and they, maybe they knew him, so they pulled him aside. So, but, um, uh, yeah. so, so that I just wanted to give a little shout out to my boy. So <laughs> she's yeah. So she's hiding, uh, the 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 tramp away in the basement, and they go to talk, and he's she's getting him something to eat, and they overhear in the kitchen this whole ex- explanation, and then they make a noise, they're heard, and then it turns into like this kidnapping fucking thing, <laughs> where they get the limo driver who's completely in it. He's like, if you fucking die. I'm not going to care. You know, they, they tie him up at the factory because they want to get the shipment out, but the shipment's highly volatile. So Patch sadly doesn't know. So Patch puts it into his coupe that he made, which is awesome. It's kind of like just a, a car made out of, like, toys. Yeah, yeah. Every, if you look at that thing, how everything, it, it, it didn't really practically move. They had to just pull it with a cable. But it's all like, you know, it's like a castle is the front, you know, then there's, yeah. like, this four, like, um... Uh, like drummers, drummer boys that turn yeah. into the headlights. So it's all very practical. It's all again. It's all this stuff that like, you know, like a year before CGI came in to be that you'd never see any of this stuff again. You know, Let's see eighty five. All I the mean, work. You know, um, I guess I mean CGI started getting used with uh, Sherlock, Ju- Sherlock, uh, young Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, yeah. And we talked a lot about the early st- stages of CGI when we did last Starfighter. Yeah. Um, but you start, you don't really seeing it get implemented that much into like stuff like this I mean, for, for quite a while. Yeah. You know, you had um, Rob Roy Field. He was the optical effects guy for this supervisor for this movie. And um, Derek Medlings, we should also mention, who was the miniature effects guy because I loved all the miniature work. And also the man who shot this movie, yeah, I was Arthur e- uh, Ebiston. Yeah, I don't Ebbies, know. He, <laughs> as, as if you're a listener of the show, you know, you know we, we, we can't pronounce anything correctly. Yeah, we, we, brutal, we brutalize people's <laughs> it's names. part of our charm. Yeah, that we don't know how to say anything right because I, I have dyslexia and, you know, Blake's, you know, he's, he's a lot better than I am about it. But um, he, he was the DP. He shot uh, Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, and this was his last movie he shot before he died, Santa Claus, which yeah, is kind of yeah. touching. Um, well, we did Willy for those who haven't listened yet. We did an episode of Willy Wonka a few years back. We did do an episode of Willy Wonka, which was really exciting at the time, breaking that down, comparing it to the to the book and all all the kind of stuff like that. And my outrage about the character of Grandpa Joe <laughs> <laughs> and how much of a dick he is, and he's an enabler in the movie. It's it's all kind of terrible. But then it, so it ends up being it all wraps up quickly, where it becomes a kidnapping rap. The girl calls the police on a random tip, and all of a sudden, every police in the Lower Manhattan area goes to this warehouse. Uh, Lifgau is like fuck. Eats as many fucking candy yeah, canes. Yeah. He's, like, down he's the door. like on the I don't know 
ninth floor or some shit. Yeah, he, he doesn't seem that high up, but no, he's high but he's enough high. up. That but he's, he's like, he's like, fuck it, I gotta get out of here. And he opens the window and he floats away. And then we have Santa's like, we gotta go. So Santa, she writes a letter to Santa like, I know this is where, and he's like, you know, we're getting him in January already. And it's a plea like, we, I need your help. Uh, you know, the tramp's in trouble. So he goes, meets the girl. Girl, they get into the sleigh. They go after Patch because Patch is in the. But two of the reindeer have the flu or something. So he, they're going six reindeer. Yeah, deep. and that was the big, the, the, he's like, come on, guys, we can do it. You got to, you know, pull together. We love him. You know, you know, he loves you. So they get, and it becomes like this chase where, you know, they're in the car, Patch and the kid. And it's, it's, it's you could tell the mixture in the trunk's getting volatile in the boot, as they call it over there. Yeah. And they're, uh, they're running. And then just as it's about to explode, they do this thing called the super duper looper, which they couldn't do earlier. Yeah, they yeah. tried to do it by the Twin Towers, but the, the run, one reindeer who has vertigo can never do it. But so just as the thing blows up, they do this great. And it's all practical. None of it's CGI. So they had to do it with all models where the yeah, thing yeah. blows up. And they go under it, and they like you know, and they fall, and they kind of fall into the to the to the uh, yeah, rain, yeah. the sleigh. I mean, really, if you examine it, they could have just, they probably could have done it without the super duper looper. Yeah, but they just like fuck but- it. Look. <laughs> <laughs> Santa's like, and it's an excuse to use it. Use you know, it. we he also just says, get, "Oh my god!" There too, yeah, which yeah, you yeah. didn't hear a swear. Santa's like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> so, yeah. so it's like, I thought this was a PG movie. <laughs> well, 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 easy, Santa. Yeah, Santa, <laughs> you've been hanging out with me too long in New York, so. Uh, uh, and that kind of sums it up. That it ends. It comes out. Well, it ends with like they're like, "Hey, let's stay here." Yeah, you know, well, she's like, "Let me kind of stay here for a year." It becomes like, yeah, a fantasy. Right. You're right because you know it's it's a perfectly written away thing where she has no relatives now. Yeah, yeah. Who cares about the fucking nanny? He and then like he doesn't her. have any. Yeah, and he doesn't even have any relatives either. So it's like, yeah, I guess they could stay here, and theoretically, they could become. It like becomes the like the Santa Claus, Santa, yeah. you know. And then it ends with John Lithgow. So I, at that scene, I was like crying. I'm like, oh, this is so cute. And it's like it's got so touching and warm for me that this is great. That's what I want to do. Fuck it, Santa, yeah, yeah. come get me. I'll and then go John Lithgow's floating endlessly in the abyss of space. Yeah, where he's like, ah, and he goes up in the end. It's very much like a, a very much like a fairy tale because how can he survive in space whatever the fucking you know, Earth's atmosphere? So the movie comes out uh, November the 27th, 1985, and it's kind of like. Uh, it kind of dies. It's it, the the movie costs about fifty million to make nowadays, which ends up. Uh, I'm sorry, back then, which um, nowadays ends up being like, uh, gosh, close to like probably two hundred million. Oh, I, forget, yeah. I forget what the uh, the that was what fifty million. Well, was, was, was fifty. Was, was fifty million. Yeah, <laughs> and it only takes in the 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 uh, gross for um, the final gross for the U.S. It only makes twenty three. Just under twenty-four million dollars, and like I said, the budget was like about fifty million. The New York Times says it's elaborate and tacky. They they they, they say it's uh, it's terrible, and it's it's really sad that like. And then there's another this guy named uh, uh, Alonzo Durante made a book about have yourself a movie little Christmas where he makes lists of stuff and he ranks this movie the worst Christmas movie ever mm. which I think is not really I new. think that it can't be true you know and he said he cites weak plot garnished production design blatant uh, product placement with the Paps McDonald's and the Coke and he, he says quote he concludes that quote it's a train wreck of a Christmas movie that so very wrong that you won't be able to tear yourself away from it unquote and but despite it this movie so um, it's horrible but 
you'll you, you, you can't turn away. But you'll be able to watch. You'll watch. But it. you'll watch the whole thing. But despite all this, it's it's garnered a, a cult following, and that's why it's stayed in the. It's become like a tradition for some people, like Christmas Story or even uh, Christmas Vacation, that people will watch it every year, and. For our listeners, I hope it's like me. I hadn't thought about this movie in years, and it's like, oh, that's a great fucking movie to do. Yeah, like I said, I don't think I saw it back then. I definitely, I don't think I, I definitely didn't see the theater, but I don't think I, I think this is the first time I've ever seen it. Like I said, I oh, was. Oh, really? Yeah. So. Oh, for word? <laughs> <laughs> for real? Yo, you for real? <laughs> for free? For free? <laughs> that's where, like, supposed to be a real famous. Uh, uh, but uh, you know, to me, it was like I was like, oh yeah, I guess I remember a Dudley Moore Christmas movie. Yeah, not to be confused like the, the Paul Williams Christmas that movie. it exists. Yeah, you know? uh, but I just find it so endearing and so lovely. It's so I, innocent, I, you, know, you know. It's look, it's look, it's it's got the we, it's got like that weirdly disturbing stuff in the beginning, and it's got some weird stuff throughout, and yeah. it's dated and whatnot. But yeah. It's a totally f- perfectly fine Christmas movie. Yeah. I, I'm with you. It works on like the sentimental, uh, you know, from the sentimental angle. It I think it uh, it it works from a very nostalgic childhood memories of Christmas angle. I I think it works. I mean, it's not look. It's not my favorite movie we've done on the show. Yeah, of course. But I, do, yeah. <laughs> like I think I, it's a fine holiday movie. <laughs> like I found it, I found it perfectly enjoyable. It's also a fun holiday movie for um, you know, to show to a kid. I think a kid would be enthralled by it. Yeah, know? it'd be interesting to see what a kid would think of it now, if whether they'd they'd be able to. Oh, a kid that's that likes the Christmas holiday. I think. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you're one of these people who like you know you don't really raise your kid in a particular way, then you're right. A kid may take it or leave it. But just the way, you know, I don't know. Uh, they say kids just watch things differently now. I wonder, I really wonder what a kid, they, I'm not saying they wouldn't, like, love it, but it would be interesting to see what, like, a kid how, how who's used to th- the way a certain movie look. I don't know if kids really worry about that yeah, shit. I don't you know. know. May, uh, they certainly don't, don't on a conscious level. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I enjoyed it. I'm glad we watched it. Um, the uh, oh, I've lost my complete train of thought. Um, on the special features on the DVD, there's three different trailers. There's the American trailer, the international trailer, and then the German trailer. And then the X and the, the X un- and the, <laughs> the unrated, the unrated, unrated version, red band. Yeah, the red band trailer. <laughs> if shit goes down. Um, it's it's fascinating that in, uh, the American trailer. It's you know, he's Dudley Moore is billed first, and then John Lithgow, and then David Huddleston, and then in the international trailer, uh, it rates Santa first, and then it goes in reverse, and then it's Dudley Moore, and then it's um, huh. uh, and then it's just about. It doesn't really give you a plot. The German trailer goes like into freaking plot points yeah, and yeah. actually what's going on with the, and then like you know as opposed to just saying it's a Christmas movie. The German trailer is telling because I guess like Christmas is huge, and especially Father Christmas over there. You know, Happy Christmas is freaking huge over there. So uh, you know they, they go into like what's going to happen, but it's all in German, <laughs> so you can't tell. It's all very much never in German. Like Deutschland, Father It sounds horrifying. Yeah, it's like holy crap, you know. Uh, so it's it's interesting to see the different you know the different market marketizations yeah, yeah. all over the world, sure, and as well as, lastly, uh, Bob Ringwood did the costumes. Who I thought the costumes were really nice, the colorful costumes, and he did Excalibur. He was the guy who did the Excalibur stuff, which was also I think a uh, probably a Pinewood. Venture. Oh, I would imagine. You know, so, I mean, I don't shit. know for sure. Completely done on set. Sure, 
Of course. <laughs> yeah, we'll just we'll say. Yeah, it yeah, we'll say that. Make it so number one. The one thing I, I, in the movie that I think is worth notice, noting is the scene where the kid, the little girl's opening the presents, and the and the and the nanny eats the. Oh yeah, she's eating. She's like, the tree that they have is yeah. fucking crazy. Well, I, I didn't notice it. It's like this gigantic monstrous thing with I don't know if that's when she's like I feel like I'm Mary Poppins <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah I don't know if it's the fake snow on top of it or if it's a white you know that cottony snow yeah, on yeah. top or if it's just a white tree it looks like it's it looks like it's hard I found it very horrifying it's like this gigantic this. <laughs> so for people who haven't watched this yet we want you to look out for two different things the A-team van the A-team van yeah the A-team was evidently helping somebody in New York that night yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe they're eating at the McDonald's for all we know, Could you know, well. across the road. And then that, that we want them to look at this Christmas tree. Tr- I, just, yeah. I found it very, <laughs> um, very intriguing. And then the Paps, the Paps Blue in the, the Paps Blue Ribbon and the, when they're drinking out of brandy snifters. Um, and as well as the, with the movie novelization, Marvel Comics published a comic book adaptation of this uh, in Marvel's Summer Spe- Super Specials, issue 39. For yeah, I was looking at that because we talked about the Marvel Super Specials when we did last Starfighter. Oh, they did one because they did a Last Starfighter issue, and I lo- I went and I looked up online. I was like, I would love to get that whole series because there's like eighty of them, and they're all like movies. So yeah, because I'm 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 I know like the summer specials or like this, you know, the, the, I know that the holiday ones. Yeah, yeah. So the super specials were uh, movie themed. It seems like it's like a one off like movie. They have like so it wasn't like I know like Indiana Jones. They did like a series or the Star Wars we talked about two weeks ago. They did a series so. Those would become their own properties, yeah, issues yeah. one through twenty, whatever. Then they would die. But these were just one-off novelizations. I think so. Wow. Yeah, it seemed like I was looking at the. I can't remember the list off. The top and you, of I head wonder now. if you look at the art because uh, artist uh, Frank Springer and uh, the writer Sid Jacobson did it. I wonder if it looks like Dudley Moore. Or, well, know, I'm sure. Probably you know what I mean? Does. I mean some of the them, likeness. Like uh, one of the ones I looked at, I forget which one it was, but uh, when I was kind of just looking at the list, like George Perez did the art for one of them, and he's like a great legendary like yeah, Marvel yeah. artist. I mean, so they got like you know their regular bullpen. Yeah, it's they, like it, it was just a job things. for him. It's like you know, I, I would love to like. I wish I could go on eBay and just be like somebody's just selling like a lot, yeah, a lot of, of like them. the eighty two or however many yeah. <laughs> they have of them. I almost bought the entire EC Comics run like in those expensive. They published them in those big hardcover volumes. Yeah, and yeah. It was fucking expensive, you know. But I got those all in digital form now, which is because I, I love nice. them. I growing up, yeah. I love the comic book adaptations. You can't sell tell me twice. I had the Dick Tracy. I had the Batman. I had the Batman Returns. I have. Indiana Jones, like especially, yeah. uh, it was always a tease for me. Like I liked when it was an, it was one complete. Like I have RoboCop and RoboCop Two. Yeah, say. yeah. The magazine RoboCop or the RoboCop Two is like where it's like a it's a graphic yeah, often, novel. I don't know why, but they were often like a different size than a regular comic. Yeah, some of them if they were mag like the RoboCop one's bigger. It's like a magazine size. Yeah. The, then I liked how the graphic novel say it was a little thicker than a comic and it's the movie. But then I hated the one like I had. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It's like one of four, so you got to get all fucking four. Yeah, it's yeah. like, oh come on. And if ni- you miss one, you know, nah, you know. I had a nice Return of the Jedi one, but it was a little bigger, like magazine size. Yeah. I feel like the Batman '89 was smaller, slightly smaller in dimension, f- to my recollection, than a regular comic book. They, they, they did two versions of that. I have them. It's like one's a soft cover. Like I think they're different covers. Yeah, maybe. One's like a soft cover, and then one they. They issued like as the graphic novel, so it's like that little cardboard, a little mm-hmm. harder kind of a I cover. Think that's the one I'm thinking of. And the same thing with the Batman Returns; it was kind of like that. But yeah, there's, yeah. I mean, that's another podcast. That's a podcast we can, we should get into. Like, yeah, novel. That that's a book for you to write. <laughs> Novelizations, like like the photo photo novels, photo yeah, plays, yeah. and all the other w- ways you can disseminate 
the movie itself. Uh, you know, basically, what we're learning on anything on this whole podcast, the series we do, is that it's just about marketing. Nothing gets done without marketing. Transformers, GI Joe, Santa Claus. Fr- <laughs> Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, it's Star the, Wars. It's the film business. Man. You know, it's all about marketing. You know, um, however they can recoup their expenses and make know, money on it's, it. It's, it's amazing. So, um, Santa Claus, I I enjoyed it. I'm glad we watched it. Yeah, it's fun. I think we, you know, I think we got off some tangents here, but uh, it's Christmas time. But uh, you know, we're a little knocked up on some eggnog. Yeah, we watched a whole bunch of Christmas specials to get us off into this, so we're a little winded. We're still we're still a little woozy from the yeah. Star Wars holiday yeah. special. Blake came over. <laughs> uh, we were trimming that. We trimmed the tree together. We drank a little bit of the eggnog. We sang some songs. We threw back some, you know, some some. So we built the piano, yeah. some carols. Yeah. We went out, we caroled around the neighborhood. We came back, we watched some Christmas specials on the old VHS tapes. Sledding. We sled, sledged, and then we <laughs> played uh, army out in the backyard. Played army out in the backyard <laughs> in the snow because it had snowed. We had a long night. <laughs> and then about six in the morning, Which we, we did, actually did one year. Yeah, we did do that one well, year. We were in That's a guilty. That's a guilty <laughs> My pleasure. Mom was yeah, <laughs> 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 you know, these kids we in their twenties. The backyard in the middle of the night, <laughs> played snow and played army. We were like twenty-one. Yeah, well, because we were like, we were snowed in. I was like, look, you guys. Yeah, what the fuck, are you guys doing? Because we found all Blake's like uh, army stuff, the guns <laughs> and stuff. I'm like, hey, let's fucking go play army in the backyard. Uh, what's the sleepover, man? Yeah, I don't care. Sleepover yeah. of all ages. Yeah, it's, it's, it's I, I still play thing. with the GI Joes under the Christmas tree. You know, every year Cobra's trying to fucking raid that train. You know, and GI Joe's got to defend it. Goddamn Cobra! You know, just can't do it this year because the fucking cattle eat them all. So uh, uh, buckets of pizza. <laughs> what do we think? Three? Yeah, three. Three. I yeah, mean, I'd give three this out of five. I give this probably three point five. This was good. I like this. I'd say three. Yeah. I'd say on a. You know, on any other day, like on a, and not in the holiday season, I would maybe give it two and a half. Yeah. But since it's the holiday that's season. Ernest, that's Ernest Saves <laughs> Christmas territory. You did like two or two and a half. But uh, I think it was fun. Yeah. And I, you know, I was, I ended up enjoying Ernest too, even though I wasn't too excited As well. about it. Yeah. Yeah, not Terry. Not Ernest. <laughs> two. <laughs> not the second one. Which we'll probably get around to another Ernest because Ernest uh, Scared Stupid. That's classic right there. Yeah, That's yeah. fucking frightening, that movie. And then Ernest Goes to Jail. The four of them right there, when Disney was camp, Christmas, scared stupid, and goes to jail. If you were going to do like a uh, three for with this, what would, what would you pick in, in terms of another movie to go with a, like a triple, double feature? Well, see, people, I think, off the cuff, would if you're, if you're shooting by the hip, you would just t- pick any Christmas movie. Yeah, yeah. Or I think you may have to try to go with the theme here. Uh-huh. So I would maybe do the one I keep referencing, The Night They Saved Christmas, the TV movie with Art Carney and as Santa and um, Paul Williams as uh, the mm-hmm. head elf. And I think there's somebody else really famous in there, too. And then to close it up, um, I don't know, maybe something like The Santa Claus with, like, Tim... Uh, I saw that in the theater. I think Elf would be a good one because yeah. it's very much about like leaving. Yeah, and coming back and all. But do you think that's a little more uh, modern in the sense of the, I mean, the cynicism or the you know the? Uh, I guess it's but a little it more. Like it's, yeah, uh, it would fit in that. I you know, what would your what would your third movie be then? Oh, I don't know. I like the idea Babes of Babes in Toyland. Yeah, well, look at like <laughs> what I said at the beginning of this cast. It's amazing, like a movie like March of the Wooden Soldiers. Which is was made in like the early '30s by Lauren Hardy. Like it's still played every year. Yeah, yeah. You know, you have a couple movies along with the Christmas specials. You have like It's a Wonderful Life. You have the various Alistair Sim Christmas Carol, the other one, 
and you have uh, Miracle on 34th Street, and you get March of the Wooden Soldiers always yeah, plays. Yeah. And it's amazing, because March of the Wooden Soldiers really doesn't have really anything to do with the Christmas until like the very I end. I think this and Silent Night, Deadly Night would be like a perfect... <laughs> or Black Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, completely off. Naughty. Yeah. Nice. Um... <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I guess I, it, it's about the the spirit of Santa. So maybe Ernest saves Christmas then. Yeah. So maybe it's maybe I'm doing the night they save Christmas, Ernest saves Christmas, and then Santa Claus. All right, there you got your you got your three four yeah, three right four. Because Ernest is all about the you know, and then it, that also explains away the bag. Mm-hmm. How he's they sp- explain everything away in this movie except how he's able to. Oh, that was another thing I put in my notes. I was like, where are they getting all this, like uh, lumber? Are they going and cutting it down? They they they. They cut these tr- forests down themselves, or are they like, you know, are they like importing it from China? <laughs> you know, all this, all, whatever the product, lead paint. Yeah, the product that they're using, the f- the 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 stuff that's turning into these toys. Well, it's magic. It's yeah, magic. that's true. I guess it just it just begets. Begots. Well, anyway, this is late. Uh, what is this? When are we dropping this baby? This uh, is this, right before this is two Christmas. days before Christmas. This so is, this yeah. was our, this is our Christmas cast, everyone. Yeah, Merry Christmas, everybody. It's a late Happy Christmas Hanukkah evening. Yeah, I hope you're, you know, you're in the background, you have, yeah. like, deck the halls on, if it's snowing lightly out. If you don't do the Christmas thing, you know, happy holidays in general. Yeah, happy, uh, I don't know, tradition to yourself year. <laughs> happy Life Day. Well, happy, definitely Happy Life Day. Yeah, and, um, you know, why don't you uh, saddle up, you know, get on the couch and look out the window. Turn maybe it's put some fire, put some fire in that fireplace. Yeah, turn the lights off. Put a log on the fire. Uh, Look at your, I guess if you don't celebrate Christmas, you don't have any Christmas lights. But you could do a little hot cocoa. You can have that menorah going. Yeah, put that menorah, have all those candles lit. Because Hanukkah's going over Christmas this year. Oh, is it? I think it starts Christmas Eve. It starts Christmas Eve? I think so, it's late. late. Usually it's always first, like by by this time it's already done, like the second. I'm pretty sure that it's like, you know, right over Christmas. Yeah. It's like we're this filling year. time. It's like, keep going, keep going. <laughs> stretch. <laughs> stretch. Stretch. We're getting the stretch signal. So uh, have a Merry Christmas. Um, we hope you've had, holidays. You've liked all the stuff you've heard so far, and uh, we'll have a whole new year. This is uh, possibly our, this is like our last one of the year. Yeah, it's sad. 2016. But, we have a, but, but there's a whole new year coming. A big old two, 2017. <laughs> the old 2017. And, and like we said a while ago, we got a lot of uh, anniversaries. If we wanted to play that game, there's a lot of 30-year anniversaries from 1987. All right, well, I don't know about that. but <laughs> other, I mean, we can, I've often contemplated what if we did that. Whatever came out? Yeah, yeah. If we did, like, you know, the first year, what year do we start this? 15? 14, 14, 14, 14, 15, 14. Well, then maybe, you know, we did like 84, we did like 84, 94, and then the next year all we did was like 85, If you wanted to start that tradition, uh, 2017 would be the right way because 87, you have fucking Robocop, you've got fucking Predator, you've got... uh, that's <laughs> a lot of other great movies. <laughs> a lot of other 21 great 21 Jump Street, you know, TV show. 21 Jump Street, Red Heat maybe. <laughs> uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. Anyway. So. Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy holidays, and uh, we we'll hope you have a good time. Yeah, hope enjoy, you're all right. Enjoy the holidays. Enjoy Santa Claus. And, yeah, and uh, sp- spread some of that Yule Tide. Go shake somebody's hand and help someone out less fortunate than you. And keep that Christmas spirit in you and keep smiling. Later. So that's it. That's how they did it. That's how we did it. The camera crew went off to shoot another film. The reindeer got permission for a prolonged graze. 
I needed to get back to tend my neglected eucalyptus plants, and the producers and director, they, they stayed around to finish off the movie. And Santa, he sprang to his sleigh, to his team gave a whistle, and away they all flew like the down of a thistle. But I heard him exclaim ere he drove out of sight, Happy Christmas to all, and to all a good night. Thank you.